0: welcome to the tournament poker edge
1: podcast brought to you by tournamentpokeredge.com the only podcast dedicated exclusively to tournament poker strategy and now here are your hosts ron fez buddy and killing bird Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Killing Bird here with you, and as always, joined by my co-host Ron Fez Buddy. Hello, sir. Hello. Yo. Right. How you been? I'm good, bro.
2: Live grinder. Live grinder. Yeah. <laughs> hey, bro. I cashed. I've, I cashed in sixty-six percent of the tournaments I've played since the last podcast. <laughs> well, live tournaments. That is.
1: That's a pretty good percentage. Yeah. Yeah. It's over Yeah, I know. I know. We're gonna we're gonna talk some some hands later in our strategy session, but. Uh, but I, yeah, you you've always been playing a little bit of live poker. How's that going? Yeah, I
2: mean, it's been a while since the Last podcast cuz uh I I moved. Um so that
1: was Yeah, up. congrats on the new pad. Thank
2: you very much, sir. Yeah, so that was really in the, you know, most of August It was uh I took up a lot of the, a lot of time and then um and then I played a couple of the Bergada uh tournaments at the last uh at the current the Bergada Poker Open. So um so yeah, I was uh it was it was taking up a lot of my time. Yeah, I went down to Borgata. Um I played in that four K five hundred dollar um massive massive tournament. Um what did I say? Four K? No. What am I talking about? Uh two four thousand people. Yeah, like four, a, <laughs> I'm gonna KB can you stitch together the things I say and that make a? I'm like, make, man, that I'm twenty runners? Yeah. No, uh the four it was it was two million Five hundred dollar, two million guaranteed, five hundred dollar tournament. So it was four, It was you know forty five hundred runners. Um, great structure, uh, a lot of fun, a lot of TP years around. Um, and I played in that, and I cashed in that. And then uh, I played in another one, uh, which is which was a four hundred dollar bounty, a five hundred dollar bounty. Which um, nothing really interesting happened, but I did get a good hand for the podcast versus a a really good live regular. Um, uh, Alex Rocha, which uh, we'll discuss, I think, when the pros come on. And then I played in the um, in, in the event 14 of that series, which was a 400 buy-in, and there was no uh, no big guarantee on that one, so it was only 170 runners. But I final tabled that, but finished ninth. But it was nevertheless a, a nice run. It's always bittersweet. It is. But I got my little picture up on the Borgata Poker blog, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> Looking all sad. Looking all, yeah. no, they take your picture when you sit down at the final table. so, so Oh, oh yes. Yeah. So you still were full of hope and optimism. So, yeah, exactly. I was still, still <laughs> cheery eyed and, and bright face. Uh, but uh, alas, uh, we'll go through what happened there. I didn't, you know, I. Had one, a really interesting spot, ten-handed. It was a ten-handed final table, like the set first or second. It was actually first-hand. Um, really interesting spot, and then uh, nothing else could come of it, and I, yeah. I busted uh, busting a knife. Um, but yeah, the, the hand with Alex Roach is actually really interesting. I'm, I'm curious to hear what the guys say, because I think there's some interesting spot on the river, and I'm always wondering if I'm missing value, um, and I wanted to. To, to talk through that. I actually had... The, uh, we'll get to it when we get to strategy, but I know him from previous tournaments, but I doubt he knows me. So there's mm. some reads in, involved. And um, the reason why I don't think he knows me is because I actually had a funny interaction with him um, about... Once, uh, so I remember playing with this guy. He's a good player. Um, you could actually v underscore Alex underscore Rocha on Twitter. He's really funny too, um, and he's he's a regular on the on the East Coast circuit. And I played with him, and I think in a 2010 World Series Poker Circuit event where I, I think I finished 27th or something. And I played with him at a table like you know four. For tables uh, for probably like an hour, and he was just awesome. He's a really, really good player, um, and he was you know, crushing the table. And then you know I busted 27th, and I checked the next day, and I was like, oh, that guy who was really good won the tournament, right? So like, I remember him because of that, right? Mm-hmm. But he he has no memory of me, right? I played with him for an hour you know, right. with, with 35 people left in a tournament. So he he uh, you know so he doesn't know memory but I have I, I played with him a ton of times since then just because he plays all all these tournaments right so yeah I played with him a bunch you play with so him too he's always around he's always around right so yeah. I played the Foxwoods um, circuit main event last year remember we, we talked about some hands from that yep and he sits down at the table and he lo- you know he's across the table he looks at me. And he smiles and says hi. And I'm like, oh, what a nice guy, you know? Like, hey, how you doing? And he goes, no, I'm I'm sorry, bro. I was talking to the guy behind you. Huh? <laughs> Such an awkward moment. <laughs> Such a weird. Like, think about that at a table. Everyone's serious, right? Guy sits down. Yeah. How are you? And you're like, hey, hi, how are you? Because I think, oh, I guess he recognizes me. I guess we played enough together. And he's like, and he's like, oh sorry, bro, I was talking to the guy behind you. He was like, he was like but hey, nice to meet you. <laughs> He's like, nice, how are you? <laughs> so so it's a really funny moment. And then uh, then I get into a hand with him, um, basically the first hand of the uh, of the $500 bounty uh, event, like four or three or whatever, um, that we'll talk about a spot with him later. So, um, yeah. and I, I do know his, yeah, I won't, I won't give away anything. I, I, I know, I talked to him about the hand afterwards so I can give, you know, get some insight from his perspective too, so.
1: Cool. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. What about you? Uh, I've actually been back on the online grind a little bit. I committed to playing a ton because the uh, Poker Maximus is running, yep. which yep. people not in the States might not even know what that is. But it's basically like the closest thing we have to like a Scoop or a F-Tops. Yep. Um, it's on the Merge network. Um, so you've been so I re- pretty hard, huh? Yeah, I just decided, like, I hadn't played a ton leading up to that, so I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to really, like, commit to it, and I happen to have sort of, like, a little bit of a open schedule as far as, like, family commitments and stuff like that, so I think, uh, I've actually been tracking it in a spreadsheet, and I've played 250 tournaments during Max. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's been absurd. Like, I've been playing, like, 30 tournaments a day and stuff. Are oh, you running? It's sort of a tale of two worlds. Like I've had you know, I've had some nice final tables. Um I finished third in the fifteen K guarantee, which is like a big Wednesday night tournament that they have, uh for like eighteen hundred. I've had a couple of wins. I actually had a win last night in a smaller sixteen fifty. Right. So that stuff's been great. The downside of Maximus is there's all these two fifteens and one oh nine. And I've bricked every two fifteen. Yeah, if you don't want good at are in trouble. Yeah, so it's pretty much like, you know, if I took those out, I'd be, you know, I'd be up a nice bit of profit, but with those, I'm down, so. Right. Uh, But, you know, that's just the variance of a, of large events. Yep, yep. And whatnot, and, uh, but I, you know, I feel good, like, I feel like I'm playing well, and I'm, it's, and I've been having fun, like, I feel like, it's like old school grind days, you know, Um, but I know my wife's. Pretty anxious, to, and I will
2: say the merge software yeah. is
1: is good too.
2: So it's like yeah, if you play a bit on merge. It feels like a little bit like old times because you're not playing with this awful clunky software that the other sites have. It's it's actually like responsive and you know pleasant user experience. Right. So it's like it's nice. You get you know like little little grind in there and, and it's fun. So yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. I've been I because of uh, uh, the, the move and Borgata and just been really busy. Uh, I haven't been able to play a lot of the the Maximus series, but I've been seeing these guarantees, you know, the 60K, 100K, 150K. It's like, wow, this seems like, I've got to get in there. I can probably, maybe I'll play tonight. Are you playing tonight?
1: Yeah, I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to try to finish strong. I took Monday off. I've played every night since, and I'm going to play all the way through Sunday. Cool. And, uh, and then I'm going to take a much-needed break. <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, f- I figure by then I'll be, I'll be ready for a few days off. Is Sunday,
2: so. like, the end? Is that?
1: Yeah, Sunday's the last day, okay, Cool. so that'll be the main event, and um, it, sun, Sundays are amazing. It's like, you know, it really is like the, the good old days. Cause I think there's, I mean, in addition to their usual, you know, decent MTT schedule, there's like, I think nine Maximus events, yeah. um, just, just on the Sundays and they run everything from like, you know, a $2 rebuy up to like a five thirty or whatever wow. it is. Cool. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. The hardest part about it is, and I, and I guess this is like a, you know, this is the nature of the beast, I guess, for a U.S.-facing site, is they try to make it so that, you know, they can appeal to both coasts, I suppose. So basically, like, the Maximus events, not the weekends, but on the weekdays, start at, like, 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. And I think the last one, you know, there's one at 7, one at 8, one at 9, or whatever. So you're pretty much committed to playing until, you know, 3, 4 in the yeah, morning. Yeah, you know what?
2: Actually, I totally forgot I played one. <laughs> I played uh, <laughs> I played the $20, $25K, like, in the, like, last, uh... What is today? Today Today's Friday. On, like, Monday or Tuesday night. And, like, Mm -hmm. I I late registered for it at, like, 10 o'clock. It started at 830. I late registered at 10 o'clock. And I actually had work the next day. And I didn't realize, like, the structure and all that stuff. And I ended up busting, like, 30th out of, like, I don't know, 1,200 people at, like, 3 a.m. So, yeah. so annoying, so frustrating. <laughs> like $120, right? <laughs> I was right. like, oh, look, a $20 tournament with a big prize pool. This is pretty cool. Let's jump in here. And I'm late regging, so okay, we'll get in there. And I, you know, It was like 15-minute levels, and they had all the levels and a lot of people. So, so yeah, you're right. They, the, the timing is a little, little weird, especially on the East Coast. It's tough if people have jobs. But, um, and,
1: and the worst case is when you finish
2: you know, 11th through 45th, you know? Right. <laughs> Those big tournaments because you make no money and you're up all night. Yeah,
1: Yeah. but you know, I I guess they don't have a lot of options because they can't really start it at five because then they eliminate literally half the country. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No,
2: well, I mean, they have like three hour late reg, so maybe they should start a little earlier, right?
1: Yeah, that's true.
2: You know, and the late reg is fine. I mean, like it's weird. You think, wow, I'm gonna late reg two hours in. I I late reg two hours in, and I I do that a lot on merch, and I end up making runs. You know, you just double once and it's fine.
1: Yep. So, yeah, so it, it's been fun. It's been, it's been kind of old school, you know, enjoying it. Um, and hope I really wanted to get up to the Borgata with you guys, but uh, yeah. just kind of everything was kind of crazy, and then I kind of committed to playing Maximus.
3: Yeah. And
1: so I ended up staying home, but um, looking forward to playing live again soon, too. I think going to try to make it to the circuit stop up, up in AC in, uh, I think, it's late November. So
2: Yeah. So, yeah, I don't see That'll anything be... on the horizon right now, but we'll definitely uh, let the TPers know if we're going to do a – you know, a stop we'll
1: definitely yeah. soon. So cool. For sure. So, we got cool. so, uh, yeah, so we got, uh, today's gonna be fun. We're going to bring in, uh, Matt Hunt, uh, the ginger 45 brand new TPE pro who's been really well received and, um, great guy having yeah. got gotten a chance to talk to him a few times, super smart yeah. and, um, you know, kind of a cool story too, because he sort of represents, I think what a lot of Maybe, you know, maybe a lot of our members would like, which is, you know, an opportunity to go pro and play full time and um, and to a great degree doing it at stakes that are actually reasonable yeah. for a lot of yeah. guys to actually maybe be able to do, you know, grinding mid stakes, MTTs. Yeah. Um, so looking forward to talking to him a lot about that. Yeah. I'm- and then uh and then for the strategy segment we'll have we'll have Matt, but we're also gonna bring in uh a little special guest appearance by Danny M thirteen and those guys know each other, so that should be fun. Yeah,
2: and I have I have two hands from that Borgata and I think you got uh, you plucked a hand from the forum, right?
1: Yeah. Yep. Cool. So we'll uh so we'll do that. So yeah, so we'll um you know, we'll jump right into the strat, I guess. Enough talking about our awesome poker feats. Yep. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll talk about R- the R- real pedicre R- post <laughs> Yeah. So
1: uh, so yeah, let's take a break. We'll get Matt and Danny in here and talk a little Strat. Um, and yeah, we'll be back right after this on the TPE podcast. If you are looking for the best MTT training site on the planet, look no further than TournamentPokerEdge.com. Tournament Poker Edge focuses exclusively on
0: multi-table tournaments and features some of the best live and online pros. No waiting for
1: cash game videos looking for the occasional tournament video. Tournament Poker Edge also offers strategy articles, forums, a member chat room, and much more. So visit TournamentPokerEdge.com and start taking your game to the next level now. Welcome back to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Very excited to welcome today's pro for his very first time on the TPE podcast. Uh, recently joined the TPE team and his uh, first series is up and running now. Uh, Matt Hunt, better known as the Ginger45. How are you, sir?
4: I'm very well, very well. Good to be with you guys. Welcome, Matt.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming on.
4: Welcome, Matt. Welcome, Matt. You know, I've I, been I, listening I, to the podcast quite a while, so it's, uh, it's very cool to get the chance to be a guest. Awesome. Awesome. I'm a big fan of
2: your first series. Uh, it's gotten a lot of, lot of great Views, I, I'm enjoying it so really, really. Oh, thanks,
4: had uh, yeah, it, it was fun to make, so I'm glad that people are enjoying it. Cool. So one
1: one place that uh, a lot of people might recognize you from is a uh, in, what's turned into a massive thread on Two Plus Two. Sort of a yeah, I, I guess it was like in the goals and challenges thread, correct? Yeah,
4: that's right. It's it's actually I guess two threads because I did one for 2012 and one for 2013. But um, yeah, I, I suppose I started those just kind of as a way to motivate myself once i started playing full-time at the beginning of last year but um, i guess people people were interested in seeing what it's like to be someone playing playing full-time for the first first time and thankfully i was able to promote myself enough that you guys signed me up i guess um, <laughs> so uh, I, I think it worked out pretty well for me but um... yeah it, it's just been it's been really cool to be able to connect with other people uh... who are yeah. in similar situations to me get to know other people who play Part time, full time, whatever it is, just people who take poker seriously, you know. So, two plus oh, two, right. two plus two has its ups and downs, but I think for me, certainly the uh, the goals and challenges forum is a very cool place to get to know people who are kind of in the same boat as you and can help motivate you. Totally. Yeah, yeah and there's, I mean, there's obviously tons
1: and tons of threads and other people have started over there. What, well. I mean, did you ever think yours would take off like it did? And, no, absolutely.
4: And, and, I, I just, I kind of assumed that maybe a few people would read it, and I might you know be able to kind of use it as a way to just uh keep myself on track and track my goals and things and just have it be kind of like a diary but a little bit more public just so i had a bit more accountability but uh you know eventually when people were people were you know commenting and reading and kind of rooting for me when i was going deep in tournaments and stuff i started thinking well hey this is obviously something that people are actually paying more attention to than i expected so i started putting more time into it i guess
2: yeah. Hey guys, I'll just jump in here. I'll, I'll post a link to, to Matt's thread, uh, in the, po- in the podcast, on the podcast. Cool, page yeah. Please, 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 that's great. It. Yeah. Really, really I'm good planning week,
4: yeah. just, just for the record, I'm planning to cross post, uh, anything interesting that goes down in my, my two plus two thread. i will cross post it to TPE as much as I can. Awesome. It's like big long blog updates or whatever. So if you guys out there in the TPE universe are interested in reading some of the stuff that, uh, that goes on there, then it'll probably go on TPE as well. Just, uh, for you guys to get it easier
2: access. Awesome, very cool. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you, Matt. I, uh, I, I even before you were a TP Pro, I was a follower of yours because I followed you <laughs> to uh, Breaking awesome. Bad thread. Oh you're a pretty prolific poster there. So I kind of lurk. I kind of lurk. For I don't. The last
4: couple weeks when I just gave up yeah. on it, you know, because it. It's like it's a show that I'm so passionate about, but at the same time two plus two is a really difficult place to discuss anything without getting ridiculously tilted by all the people who just can't <laughs> have yeah. a conversation without being really I don't know, having really controversial views on something. So yeah. I uh I've kind of jumped over to Reddit now to discuss breaking bad. But um yeah, two plus two has a lot of good TV, TV forums, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, I it, my seconds. strategy
2: my strategy for that is I, I uh I I read the thread Monday morning. So, you get like the immediate insight, you know, immediate uh-huh. thoughts, and, you know, less sort of people reaching now for kind of crazy conspiracy Yeah, exactly. And
4: you know, once you get to like Thursday, Friday, oh. it starts to descend <laughs> into like ridiculous arguments <laughs> about the logistics and the realism of certain scenes or whatever, yeah. and all this stuff about, oh, well, that would never really happen because this doesn't work this way, and all this stuff. And yeah, yeah, just- yeah. Yeah. So hard I
2: can't read it. So or or how long were people discussing is Gail really dead? Right.
4: <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, spoilers for anyone who hasn't even seen uh, seen the first three seasons, I suppose. But um, I, I yeah, guess well, most, like, most yeah, people I, probably caught up. But yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that, I guess that's not even a spoiler really, because it's like you know it, it happens. It's not even an ambiguous thing, but somehow people generate <laughs> an ambiguity over it. Just curious, how do you? A little side,
2: little tangent. How do you think it's going to end? Just curious, what your thoughts are. <laughs>
4: I, I I kind of I've been predicting stuff all season and almost every single thing I've predicted has been wrong so I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of trying to go into the last two episodes with a very clear like no expectations because okay. I, I, yeah. the, more I, the more time I spend kind of thinking about oh well maybe this is what's going to happen maybe that's what's going to happen the less it takes me the, the more it takes me away from actually enjoying the show in the moment so I'm just going to try and sit back and enjoy the ride at this point I think
2: fair, fair enough yeah and this will probably this will go live you know, before the second to last episode, but most people probably won't listen to it till after the second to last episode. So you could just be way off. <laughs> but right, I, mean, exactly. I don't want to
4: say a bunch of stuff now and then have it. Be completely wrong in four days, you know,
2: cool. Well, you know, I'm the same um, way. I'm, I'm looking forward. Like, I don't even, I hate previews. I hate watching, I hate oh, okay. watching, yeah. watching trailers. I just hate it. Like I shut it off immediately because I don't, I want to sit and be, you know, completely mm-hmm. immersed in something new. So I'm with you, man. So, okay. Looking forward to the last two
1: episodes on, the, on that. Can't wait. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, sorry, KB. What, what <laughs> awful show you want to talk about? <laughs>
1: Can we talk about um, Fringe? No, I I've go seen about the season of half of Fringe. It's kind of, kind of good. I quite like it. Yeah, I thought it was okay at the start, and then it kind of fell apart on me, but it's funny because my, my wife and my son both watch Breaking Bad, and yeah, I'm usually playing, so I'll walk upstairs, and they'll be like, "Oh my god, yeah,
4: you won't believe what just happened." And I'm like, "I don't even know who you're talking about." Yeah, I mean, if you if you if you like TV, if you take TV seriously, you just you have to see this show. Yeah. You, you have to because it's by far the best thing on TV right now. Like at the moment the, the main debate is that's going on is is it better than The Sopranos, which seems to be the thing that everybody else is holding up as the other best show ever. So I guess we'll see by the ending how that's it, it's
2: against the wire for me, not not Sopranos, but that's
4: yeah. yeah. The wire, I think, to, like I, I think it's pretty hard to say like what's definitively the best, but the wire, Sopranos, Mad Men are all candidates. Yeah, and
2: they're all they're all different. Like they're all just right. different yeah. works of art, right? Like you can't. I wouldn't. I would never even get in that conversation because I just think those, those four you just mentioned are are art in their own way, and you could really enjoy all of them equally. So anyway, absolutely, yeah. It's like yep. trying to all compare.
4: Right. I don't know. Trying to compare rock music to rap music. You can't say yeah. <laughs> Can, can you can you edit that out? <laughs> Sorry. Did you hear that noise I just made? <laughs> yeah,
2: I coughed I coughed in a weird way. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm leaving that <laughs> in. That's saying. <laughs> I don't know what that noise I just made was.
1: Sorry. <laughs> so obviously like on Facebook and stuff, like tons of people are talking about Breaking Bad and anticipating the final episode. What are the chances that it's like a lost Ending where everybody's just completely disappointed in the final episode. I think it's
4: close to zero because yeah. people yeah. Have so much people yeah. have so much faith in the writers of this show yeah. because every like there's been so many times over the previous few seasons where people have been anticipating, um, you know, the end of a season and it's never disappointed. And just so far the 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 last eight episodes we're six into them now and every single one has been absolutely amazing. And I just feel like it would be. Really unlikely that they'd kind of let the quality like drop in those last two episodes. So. I,
2: I agree. I think it's less than five percent, and, and I'm going to bring us back to poker because I think I have a read on on, uh, on Cranston and Aaron Paul because every oh you every, do
4: okay. <laughs>
2: every time I've heard them talk about it, um, they oh, seem sweet. super confident that they landed the plane really well. Yeah, uh,
4: that's you know? the thing. So everybody I'm, talks about the shows that knows says it's uh it's about as good as it could be. So yeah, so I, oh, I've got faith.
1: All right, you guys convinced me. I'll watch this stupid
4: show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after, honestly, after one episode, you, uh, you'll you probably be hooked because it's the best pilot episode ever made by, by existence.
1: Well, I will say that I, I've gotten much more into this whole idea of just watching shows straight through, yeah. huh. Like, yeah, getting, like getting DVD or whatever and just watching like seven episodes at a time. So that'll make this enjoyable for me. Yeah,
4: for sure. The first season of Breaking Bad is only seven episodes because it got cut by the writers' strike. So you'll get yeah. through that one pretty quickly nice
1: cool well let's uh let's jump into a little bit of poker' let's talk <laughs> right, a bit about your
4: a bit
1: long yeah, we'll talk a little bit about your background um, t- you know talk a little bit about how you got into poker, and you know obviously we talked a little bit about your thread uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know talking about moving into being a full time grinder, so yeah. you know kind of talk about your progression into that as well
4: sure thing yeah i i um it's it's been a pretty weird progression, i suppose i I guess I got into poker back. I think it's it all started I suppose new year's day two thousand and nine it would have been um and I know it was New Year's Day specifically because I can remember myself and a couple of friends from university i was I was at university back then um we were kind of sitting around with that usual New Year's day hangover that everyone has and uh my friend Stu uh shout out to him if he's somehow listening to this in the future um he uh he had the idea that hey, why don't we just go out and buy, buy a deck of cards and some poker chips and have a game of poker tonight because we were all mm. looking for something to do. And uh, and so we did. And that evolved into a regular Friday night poker game, which evolved into playing poker three or four nights a week because we were just all so addicted to it. And uh, we just like were really fascinated by the whole strategy aspect of the game and everybody wanted to compete with each other and outplay each other. And it was just, it was a lot of fun. And at that point, I... I actually remember saying to myself, or maybe even saying out loud to somebody, I, I don't think I'll ever play online. Like, I don't think I'll ever take it that seriously, but it's a fun thing to do just for a Friday night, you know? And then, of course, about a few months after that, fast forward and I was playing online. Um, I started depositing on stars, just like 10 bucks here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess I, it just grew. I just took, started taking it more and more seriously over the, the couple of years that came after that, started learning more about the game and then eventually, You know, realizing that, you know, people who get good at this game can can make decent money from it and it can have like an independent lifestyle and can, you know, this is something that you can do professionally, play online poker. And uh, and I was doing other various other stuff at this time. I did a lot of volunteer work for a a student run charity named Isaac that I worked for for about three or four years um, doing. Everything from teaching English in a school in Turkey to working full time out in Dublin, Ireland to start the organization over there um, and a, a bunch of other things. I worked in Russia for a little while as well. Um, so I did a lot of traveling, uh, a lot of charity work. I worked as a teacher a little bit. And uh, and then when it came to 2011, 12 kind of time, I, I realized that I was kind of spending more time on poker than anything else and that I was getting to the point where it was feasible I could make enough to to make a living off the game, so I uh, I just kind of decided to go for it because it would give me a little bit more time to to pursue my other passions and and do more writing, which I wanted to get more into. Um, so I, I went for it at the beginning of 2012, and 2012 was a tough year. First year of any any business or any professional enterprise is is always going to be tough, but made it through. And uh, and this year has has been better than I could have possibly expected. So things have really really progressed from that that beginning point, I suppose. That's awesome. What do you? I mean, that, that that's a relatively quick
1: progression from like buying your first set of chips. Yeah. To you know, becoming a quote unquote pro. What I mean, what do you credit your ability to get good that fast?
4: Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I would think it's just a a dedication to learning, really, in that. I wasn't necessarily – I think there's a lot of people that start out in poker and they're just, their main focus is I want to make money. I, I just want to win money. I want to win tournaments and I want to bink the Sunday Million and just retire immediately and I want to make loads of money. But for me, it was never really about that. For me, it was just I was passionate about learning the game because it fascinated me and it was really something that I, I, I was spending so much time on it and so much time learning the game just because I enjoyed it. You know, um, I – was getting really, really into all the strategy discussions that I had with a friend of mine. Uh, we, we used to, we lived together. So we walked, we used to walk to our home game, play the game for, you know, four five, six hours, whatever, even more sometimes. And then, uh, we'd walk home and our half an hour walk home would, would usually constitute like a half an hour strategy discussion about hands that had just happened. And that was my kind of introduction into talking strat when I came to poker. And obviously we, we were both terrible at the game right then, but, um, <laughs> you know, we, uh, I think that that aspect that window into strategy discussion was a real a real kind of helping hand for me in in getting to learn the game a bit better and really digging into strategy and starting to understand it because that that appetite for learning I guess was what kept me going through those uh those periods and and who, what kept me uh kept me trying to improve when I wasn't running good you know right
1: Makes sense. Yeah, we talk a lot of this podcast and you know in the forums and stuff about how important it is to have like a group of people mm-hmm. in you know in your poker community who you can talk hands with and stuff like that. Obviously you have an outlet for that in your thread on two plus two, yep. but I, I assume you also probably have a bunch of guys on Skype and stuff yeah, like that. But you yeah. run I mean we have, I, I'm lucky well. enough to
4: be part of uh one of the I guess the the biggest and most successful NTT backing groups at the moment. Um and we uh we talk hands all the time. Um, I, my, my back is, uh, Matt, 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 two, three, eight Vance and, uh, and Jeff, Jeff Williams, who won EPT grand final back in like 2006, I think. Um, mm, yeah. and another guy called, uh, Nick Van Newkirk. They, uh, they're all on, on Skype regularly to talk hands. And we have a group of 2025 20, guys that are constantly, including Danny, Danny n 13 Noseworthy, uh, who's obviously another TP pro, um, we you know we talk all, we talk hands all the time we we discuss spots that come up everyone will just post, post hands immediately after they're played and say hey what do you think about this you know um, and we'll we'll just kind of dissect each other's games I think uh, and we we do regular coaching sessions and stuff as well so it's been a huge um, huge advantage of me for me to get to get backed before I played full time um, just because it's such a window into having a support group rather than just going it alone and trying to trying to play independently. So, so, I mean, I, I suppose one of the biggest pieces of advice I would give to anyone who wants to play NTTs full time is that being backed is the best way into it.
1: Interesting. Yeah, because there's a lot of debate about you know, should I be backed? Right. You know, Am I a good candidate to be backed? You know, all that kind of stuff. What What makes you like sort of? I mean, other than the that group dynamic, sure. What, yeah. what makes you like that? I think the main backed? thing
4: really is that. It's, it's really impossible to underestimate the extent to which variance is a factor in MTTs, and yeah. as a result of that, I think there's very, very few people out there who actually have the correct bankroll to be playing the games that they're in. Um, and that's not to say that there's any specific number of buy-ins that you should have in your bankroll and it will be playing any given game, but what it does mean is that if you're, if you're playing on your own bankroll, firstly, when you're at the low stakes and the micro stakes, particularly on on PokerStars and on some of the other bigger sites, the fields are just so huge at those levels that the variance is astronomical. Even if you have a really big edge, for one thing, so it's very hard to build a bankroll playing MTTs if you are simply playing at the lowest stakes that you can afford and trying to build up. And the other the other aspect is that um, you, yeah, there's the there's the uh, the aspect of variance at the lower stakes being so much higher. But there's also if you're Improving at a level where you're you're able to beat higher games, uh, then if you're not able to play in those games because your bankroll is not big enough, then you're kind of treading water, waiting until you bink something at the lower stakes so that you can move up. And in many cases, being backed and yeah, okay, you only get half your profits the majority of the time, or I don't know some other percentage depending on what your what your deal is. You can Mm. still make much more money playing slightly higher stakes. Uh, where your edge is still good but not astronomical, um, but with a much lower level of variance. You might play across different sites, you might play smaller field tournaments, you might play fewer numbers of turbos, things like that. So basically being back gives you a lot more freedom of what games you play and it gives you the freedom to play games that are going to to reduce the variance in your, your overall MTT game and help you to actually make more money. Whereas if you're stuck playing low stakes on your own bankroll, then the variance is just going to be incredibly high, and you're just going to be treading water until you until you bank 10k, winning the big eleven in a field of 12,000 players or something like that, you know. How, yeah. Matt, Matt, how do you mentally deal with when
2: you're in makeup, you know, and it seems like you um, know. You can't think, win, like like just like a regular tournament. Like I'll just throw numbers out there. Let's say like you know you play mid stake stuff and yeah, you know, first, first place is like seven or eight k, and you're like twenty k in makeup. Like m- mentally, that's that's always been the thing that I, I don't like about about mm-hmm. backing and being and being backed. So how do you deal with that? How do how do you how do you go through um, that mentally?
4: I suppose it's a it's a question of perception, really. And I think one of the main things is that well, it's it's actually it's, it's easier for me because I um being in the UK. I, we obviously don't use US dollar as our currency, and therefore, right. when I'm when I'm playing uh, for prizes that are in numbers of the US dollar, it's it's easier for me to think of anything that's in US dollars that's online is like it's like my score in a video game, you know. Right. Um, right. And it's not my money until it's actually in pounds in my bank account. And uh, and for me, that simples it up because really, make like you you have to see makeup as just being a number because. If you start considering the actual uh, the actual monetary value behind it, then you'll just go insane because yeah. you can't you can't spend your whole time thinking I'm this much in debt because it's not debt it's right. it's a purely po- it's purely a poker device. So to me, uh, it's just about being able to separate. It. I mean, ultimately, like if you're if you're playing MTTs, then. Or if you're playing whatever kind of poker really, then you, you can't afford to be scared money and you can't afford to be thinking about the money all the time. So I suppose what makeup does is force you into that mindset where you're, you're really not concerned about how much is up top in a certain tournament. You're just concerned about the, the, the decision that you're making because sometimes you'll be in makeup and you'll win a tournament and you won't get any money for it because you're, you're it's just yeah. cleared a bunch of your makeup, but you haven't actually been able to cash out. Um, and so that just forces you to focus on, okay, how do I win this tournament because the next tournament I win after this one, then I might be able to cash out a bunch of money so yeah it, um, it just helps you to change your mindset, I suppose, but it also also you know it, it minimizes the variance to the point where if you go on a massive downswing, you don't actually you know you, you can still pay your rent you know you don't have to uh, you don't have to face up to the reality of actually losing a, a bunch of money that was in your hand before, and now it's not, you know
1: yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, one thing I've always tried to do and it's kind of helped me with that mental battle is I don't really pay so much attention to the money as I do my the line on my graph. <laughs> I just tell <laughs> myself I need to keep that line moving upwards. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the way I kind of look at it.
4: Yeah, I think it's interesting that, you, that the language you use there is interesting because one of the things that I think helped me the most is stepping away from the idea of needing anything in, in the moment of playing a tournament. Like I think the thing that, that the thing that people succumb to when it comes to tilt a lot of the time is, I really want to win this tournament. I really want to get out of makeup. I really want to cash out a bunch of money, whatever it is, because ultimately mm-hmm. wanting something in poker gets you nowhere. Uh, because you know, you have no control over whether you get it or not. All you have control over is the decision that you make. So, um, I, I think if I, <laughs> if I were to boldly just give you some unsolicited advice, uh, KB, then it would be to to maybe eliminate ide- like words like want and need from from your vocabulary when it comes to talking about what your goal is in um in tournament poker because that really helped me to kind of uncover that reality about you know whatever you want doesn't matter because you don't have control over whether you get it or not.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah.
4: And what about um Matt?
2: What about your your view on the different stakes, you know, between low, mid and high, um, mm-hmm. you seem firmly sort of planted in the, in the mid stakes. And, and is it a good place to make a living? Is it, is it, is it still profitable? Yeah, I know, absolutely think so.
4: I, I think like the, the difference between the two state, the the three levels is it's obviously a very fluid thing. And when you go from one site to another, you could, you can find high stakes tournaments on say PokerStars.fr that are softer than low stakes tournaments on um on stars.com you know because it just depends on the player pool on each side so really uh it's all about kind of identifying the level of variance in any given tournament rather than specifically the buy-in um because you can have you can have a higher stakes tournament you can have a tournament like the sunday million for example uh where you know the sunday million is softer than most tournaments on most sites because it's the most high-profile tournament and it attracts a lot of recreational players. So your ROI in the Sunday Million is going to be really high, but at the same time, the field is so huge that your variance is also still going to be very high. So um, really what it's about is finding tournaments where the the variance is lower, so the field size is ideally going to be smaller, and there's enough of a balance between a buy-in and your edge that you can still make pretty good money on it. So a good example that I would give would be my favorite tournament, the tournament that I think I've final tabled it six times this year. It's the hot 100 euro on, uh, on stars.fr, which is a hundred euro turbo 10k guarantee. The turbos on, on stars.fr have great structures, um, similar to, uh, some of the reg speeds on stars.com. You, you know, you get to the final table with 30 big blind effective stacks sometimes. And, um, and so it's a great structure. It doesn't take too long. It attracts lots of recreational players because it's an evening tournament. um, the field is only maybe sometimes at, at most it can be 200 to 250 on a Sunday it gets to about 500, but on a weekday it might be 150 players sometimes, which generates a 15 K prize pool, three K right. up top, something like that. um But it, and it it's so soft, but your, your edge is big. The field is small. um So it's the perfect combination of different factors. So to me, really, it's not necessarily about the stakes so much as it is the different factors that go into making up the tournament because, you know, a high stakes tournament with, Uh, A small field, if you have enough of an edge, can still be very low variance, even though it's a high buy-in. Whereas a high-stakes tournament with a a big field, like some of these W-coops, if I was playing every single W-coop event, I'd be on a huge downswing unless I basically won something, because the buy-ins are so high and the fields are so huge that you've got to prepare yourself for a really high level of variance. I
2: I think people really underestimate how these big series... Can really impact your your bankroll. I mean, I know people realize that, but I think they underestimate the impact because you have, like you said, you have to you have to final table something to be positive on on any of these series. And if you don't, right. and if you, if you, you took really like
4: sixty, whatever it is, fifty or sixty events, I forget in this series, but uh, sixty six events, I can see. Um, if you took any any random sample of sixty six tournaments, all of which pretty much have uh, um, field sizes of a thousand or greater. Yeah. Um, and many of which you're not going to have uh, a huge edge in unless you're one of the absolute top players. If you took any random sample of 66 of them, the odds of you final tabling any of them would be really, really small. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the simple fact is if you play all the high-stakes buy-ins um, all the time on PokerStars and you don't play lower-stakes stuff or small-field stuff on other sites to, to reduce the level of variance in your game, then you have to have an astronomical bankroll to withstand it. I mean, I've just just to give you an example, I've, I i can not confirm this and I, I almost don't know if this is something that I should be publicly talking about or whatever, but I am, um, I've heard lately that, uh, even one of the best players online, Chris Mormon, before he final tabled an F tops a few weeks back and got second place, I heard someone say that he was on 125 K downswing, according to SharpScope. Oh, um, wow. Um, and that's, that's like the guy who has 9 million plus in winnings on right. right. like one of the best entity right. players ever online. And, uh, he can still have a hundred K downswing. Um, yeah. and it's just, it's brutal. Some of the variants sometimes. So you, you just want to minimize yourself again. You want to, sorry, um, you want to protect yourself against that. And you want to play tournaments that give you, going to give you a chance to keep, keep steadily winning money rather than trying to, trying to bink hundred K and getting yourself hundred K deep in makeup as a result. And on top of that, people overestimate their, their, uh, their skill too, right? So, yeah, exactly. So. It's basically nobody who doesn't overestimate their edge.
1: Yeah, right,
4: exactly. Wow, interesting.
1: Except me. I know I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs>
4: it's okay, though. We yeah. all
2: remind you of that. So it's, it, it's, yeah. it's definitely
4: a better idea to underestimate your edge than it is it to is. overestimate it, which is why I guess partly why I'm so self-critical a lot of the time. Like I, I very rarely come out of a tournament thinking, wow, I just owned everybody in that tournament. How did I not win? I, I mostly come out thinking about that one mistake that I made that led me to lose a pot or something like that, you know. So yeah. some
2: some of the smartest people I know are really I won't say critical in you know to a debilitating fe- uh, point, but to they're really they know that they don't know everything and they're really curious about the things that they don't know and getting getting smarter and better. Yeah, I think I think that's, I think
4: that's what leads to improvement, really. Being curious about the things that you don't know, you know, being yeah. being kind of willing and eager to explore concepts that you're not yet familiar with and try to try to make yourself aware of them and apply them into your game rather than just thinking, Oh, well, I know everything. I'm brilliant. Let me, uh, let me just go crush everybody. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think and it's been interesting too. In your first series, you've pointed out some spots, um, that you think you didn't play particularly well. Oh, God, that well. second video,
4: man, I played so bad. I, I was so <laughs> embarrassed to have that as, like, my second video ever because I just botched, like, every hand in that video. I was kind of – I mean, it was fun to review it because I got to berate myself, and, I, you know, I, it's it's rare that you get to berate anyone without any kind of possibility for uh, feedback from them. So berating my past self, I guess, was, was kind of fun <laughs> in that video. But, um, yeah, just I, – I can't believe I final tabled that tournament just because – well, spoilers, but not really – um. yeah, it's just, there's just so many hands where I was like got myself short-stacked because I just punted off 70 big blinds or whatever it was.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of the, the more interesting things about running a poker training site is you, you have all these pros put out these videos, and I think, I think sometimes members or certain members would expect you know, a pro to play so perfectly all the time. Like, it's a training video. They're supposed to do everything right. But any time you do a live sweat or a hand history review – you're just going to have bad plays. I mean, you might be able to do a theory video where you explain everything perfectly and stuff, right. but if it's an actual tournament, yeah. you're going to have some bad spots in there too. Yeah, exactly. It's just going to happen. I mean, the, the
4: thing is that every single player in the world, even, you know, the IVs and the Phil Galfonds and the Ike Haxtons of the world, like, I'm sure, I, know, I mean, it's a scientific fact that you play better in retrospect than you do yeah. in the moment because of all the different factors that are affecting your brain's ability to think in the moment. You know, so if you if you took Phil Galfond analyzing, I mean, I've I've seen some of his training videos in the past on other sites, and there are plenty of times where you know he'll he'll look at a hand he played in the past and say, oh, "I think I played this bad," um, because when you're analyzing it objectively from a you know a retrospective point of view, you're able to see all the angles. But when yeah. you're in the moment, you know you can't possibly access all the information that your brain has. So everybody's a better player in retrospect, and I think. Pretty much anybody who looked back through their, their past play would, would find things they disagreed with.
2: And I guarantee you that less than one percent of serious poker players do enough study of their 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 own hand histories and, and their yeah, own past play. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm one of them. I
4: don't look back enough, but um, you know, I guess I'm I'm always working on that.
2: Yeah, but it's really important because, like, what happens is when you when you do your own hand history reviews, then you start to build your instinct for the live when it's actually happening, right? Mm-hmm. Cause that's, that's the only way you can improve is that if you, if you recognize situations and it becomes instinctual and you get that sort of, that gut feel of, of where you should be going in the in the moment and you only get that by practicing uh, by looking at this, you know, getting enough experience in those situations and you can't get that live because you just don't have the attention span. You don't right, have exactly. the to And it also it.
4: it makes you, it makes you aware of your own strengths and weaknesses as well. You, yeah. It makes you aware of, you know spots where you might you take a light three-bet spot and the guy the guy snap folds and you think oh well maybe I should take that spot more often you know when it comes yeah. up or yeah. you know you you make a huge mistake that you see three times in the same tournament, you know, you set mine on the wrong stack size or something right. like that. And then you think, okay, well, that's obviously a leak I need to plug. And then next time you play, you're aware of it, you know?
2: Right. You know, uh, this, I don't know if I, I can express this the, the right way, but what, one thing I've also noticed in, in when I review my hand histories and I, and I look at ones where I've made deep runs, mm-hmm. I, I realize that I don't have to consistently be outplaying everyone on every hand. Like, yep. I don't know if I'm... Uh, this well but like you go through and it's like 20 hands with nothing happening okay then i double up with ace king versus nines okay now yeah. i have a big stack and then okay well this was
4: an interesting spot you know maybe there's maybe two or three really interesting spots in a tournament um, yeah that's that's exactly it and there you know you can look at a tournament that you that you win that has an average field size and takes an average number of hands maybe like a few hundred hands Right. and you can look through it and every single spot will be completely standard you know right. And, right and you you kind of think well oh well i guess i just ran good but honestly that is how you win tournaments by by running good and not making mistakes and right. then exactly it's it's really the there there will be times when you look through a tournament and you can pinpoint one big hand that you made an unconventional play and it won you a big pot or you know you you had an aggressive image and it induced somebody else to spew into you for a big stack and right. and those obviously are the big factors that influence tournaments um, in the short term, you know, you win a big pot, you lose a big pot, whatever. But very few of those instances are like, oh, I just absolutely outplayed this guy. It's all, yeah. it's all just a function of how you play in general. You know, if you play aggressively, then you're going to win bigger pots. Right. You know, at, at times when people spew into you, so it's just a function of everything else, I guess. You, you start yeah. to see the flow in the game. Yeah, you see
2: the flow. And that's exactly what. And I guess only counter to what what I just said there is, I, I do. You you can pick up pots that mo- that people don't pick up. You know, through, mm-hmm. through right? So, if, but that's once again, it's not a, you know, consistently, you know, um, pulling off some, some tricks or anything like that. It, you just start to see that the repetition of, of, of a solid strategy and then yeah, a series exactly. of really big events where you get the giant pots is what propels you forward in the
4: tournament. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, when you start to get to the highest stakes it's, and you have, um, villains that you're playing against every single day and guys that you have really solid reads on and you play you've played final tables against before that's when it gets to the point where you have to start doing things that exploit the the, the right. gaps in their game and exploit the strategy that they have but honestly the majority of people you play tournaments with day to day you're not going to play with them enough that you have a good enough perception of their game to actually start right um to actually start kind of trying to own them you know trying to exploit any weaknesses that they have so the majority of the time you're just going to be you're basing your reads on their ranges and your assumptions on kind of logical, uh, logical assumptions about their ability and you know what kind of thing they would normally maybe seventy percent of the time be doing in this spot. Right. And sometimes you're going to run into the top of their range. Sometimes they're going to be doing something unusual, um, but then you just note that down and move on. You know.
2: Yeah, and and I've also noticed in in the mid stakes and, and especially since I play a lot more live now um, because I'm in the mm-hmm. U.S. You know, I I think well. I'm going to make this play because it's just, it's the right play, um, but it's exploitable by a really good player. But then I think to myself, how often, you know? First of all, most of these guys aren't really that good, so they're not going to exploit yeah. me. And do I really need to balance right now with you know? Do I need to balance my range? Like, no, I think I should take the, the the best play, even if it's exploitable. And I think in in you know in mid stakes and live and and in most cases until you get to those higher stakes, I think that's probably the the best thing to do until you start oh, absolutely. To run into yeah, I book. mean, there
4: are, there are spots where. I mean, it works both ways. There are spots where you say you, the, the best example is having aces or how people play pocket aces, because you can, you can get aces in a hand against a um, a good reg where, where you have like say 18 big blinds. Right, and right. if you, if you try to three bet aces off 18 big blinds, it's very unlikely that this other good reg is going to anticipate that you'll, you might be three bet folding off 18 big blinds. So right. you should probably just shove your aces because that's yeah. what you would do if you had a weaker hand. Whereas Against, you know, I've, I've played hands recently against, you know, players who are pretty clueless where they'll like 4x open. Yeah, they 4x open from the button I have 18 big blinds in the big blind. I have aces and I just min 3-bet it. To like seven big blinds, right. and then I have like eleven big blinds left in my stack, and they, they flat call, and the flop comes Jack Four Deuce, and you just like min bet, and they shove with their Jack Eight right, that they right. just called with, and right, right. it just you know you you start to think, well, if I just shove my eighteen big blinds there, he just folds so much that why would I ever do that? Why would I not play exploitably because he's never going to exploit me?
2: Right, right, yeah, that's 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 what I'm getting at. I, I think I think that there's just definitely a a, a over. Estimation of applying, you know, balancing, and and maybe maybe you have to be a little more advanced, beyond intermediate even. But um, but it's it's a mistake if you if you apply it at the wrong places. I think I think just get the maximum value in most midstakes and live tournaments until you start to run into really good players. Yeah,
4: exactly.
1: Speaking of you know playing with regs and, and getting reads and all that kind of stuff, are you a big note taker, Matt?
4: Um, I am when what? I can, and I certainly am when it comes to spots that. That come up deep in tournaments because I think how people play deep in tournaments is the the part of their game that tends to differ most from the standard. You know, you get guys who you get to a final table and their default is to just uh, really adhere to ICM religiously and and move up the pay ladder. Whereas you get guys who just don't care about ICM and they'll just uh, just pile it in because they're trying to double up and win. And for the record, I think the the former of those strategies is by far superior. But um, the yeah, I I think the the limited usefulness of note taking early on is just simply because when when the pre anti stage is going on and when there's not that many chips in the pot and you're early in the tournament, nobody really does anything that unusual simply because you don't need to. You know, you don't really need to fight over a fifty chip pot in the first level of a tournament. Um so really that when note taking becomes important is towards the later stages. And I definitely when I when I have a low enough level of tables, which hopefully is Most of the time when I'm deep in tournaments, um, yeah, I certainly try and take notes on unusual things that I see people do and how they play certain hands just to get a read on on them. And then if I come across them later in the tournament again at the final table, we get heads up or something. I have a much better perspective on how to play them. Very cool. So let's
1: talk a little bit about uh, the future. What are the plans for the rest of...
4: The year and then
1: into next year. Any, yeah. any plans
4: to play live? Yeah, uh, I'm actually playing live plan. next week. I'm playing live in a France Poker Series event, which I won a seat to on PokerStars.fr. So I'm going to Cannes in the south of France, which is going to be lovely um, nice. for about five days. I can't wait for that. Uh, so I get to play some live out there, playing playing the 1K main event of that uh, that kind of stop on the tour, and then maybe a couple of side events as well. Um, so I'm playing live next week. I think after after WCOOP, the kind of I guess the rest of the year is pretty empty when it comes to major series poker-wise online. So I suppose I'll just be grinding out those those online MTTs. And uh, I have some other stuff on the horizon, non poker-wise. I'm taking a taking a course in television drama writing at London Film School, um, which is very cool, uh, which I'm looking forward to. So I have some you know some non poker stuff on the horizon, and just I guess balancing MTTs and other real life stuff is, is guess, the, I guess the priority for the the next few months. But 2014, uh, I don't know. To be honest, I, I mean, I'm I'm kind of evaluating how much uh, poker I can I can be playing if I'm going to be pursuing things like going to going to film school and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I, I suppose my priority is just to kind of see where I am at the end of this year and then evaluate. You know, am I going to be playing MTTs full time? Am I going to be uh playing kind of three days a week say and doing something else the other few days you know what's going to happen because you know my my long-term goal is to move out of poker and move into film and tv writing but uh obviously you you can't get there without spending time working on it so i'm just gonna see where i am at the end of this year and then evaluate next year based on uh, based on where i get to Nice. Have you done the the whole WSOP grind and any I interest in I've, doing that? I've never been to the US in any capacity, not let alone just poker. So um, hmm. that's something that I I certainly plan to do in the future. You know, I'm, I'm not gonna let my time as a full time poker player go by with them. Well, I, I say full time poker player, but um, I, I'm never gonna stop playing poker completely. You know, I'm never gonna quit poker. Um, because it's always going to be something I enjoy, but it's just a question of what kind of role in my life it it fulfills. So certainly I plan to do the WSOP grind at some point. Um, but it, I mean, maybe next year if I can afford it, I don't know. Um, it's obviously expensive to, to get out to the, to the States for a summer from the UK. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I certainly plan to do it at some point in the future and, whether it's next year or the year after it just depends on i suppose when i decide to go to film school and how that pans out right on
1: and the, the film school thing sounds pretty exciting we should actually talk a little bit more about that sure. maybe what a little more detail about the the london program yeah there. yeah i'm uh,
4: i'm doing a 10 week just an evening course like every 2 hours every tuesday in london i'm i'm like an hour and a half on the train from london here so it's really easy to get there um and um yeah, it's just something I've been wanting to do for a while, and now it's got to the point where I researched a couple of courses and, and found something that looked really interesting. So, I'm doing a ten-week ten evening course every Tuesday. Uh, so, I guess I won't be playing poker on any Tuesdays for the for the next ten weeks, but um, it's not really a big deal. Uh, I uh, yeah, I'm just I'm gonna hopefully learn learn some stuff about writing for TV, and that will help me work on some of the stuff that I've got going right now. I'm, I'm working on a bunch of different writing projects outside of poker and. At any given time, I, you know, randomly decide to take a few days off from poker just to to work on this one idea that I might have, you know. So sometimes that sometimes that crops up, and hopefully going to film school in the future, you know, for an actual solid year for a proper film school course, is something that will help me develop some of that stuff. Nice. Well, good luck with that. Thanks, that sounds man. Yeah, cool. uh, I'm excited to get going on it. No, Don't forget the little people.
1: <laughs> no
2: wonder no 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 your posts were so good on on two plus two. the
4: movie. <laughs> yeah,
1: there we go. Cool. Alright, so let's uh, let's move into a little bit of strategy. We mentioned uh, his name earlier, um member of you of the same backing group as you and in, in the Skype chat group that you were talking about, Mr. Danny M thirteen. We're lucky enough to have him join us for our strategy discussion. How are you sir? I'm not
3: too bad. How's it going? Yeah. Going
1: well, fresh off your uh your trip to Florida, right? Yeah,
3: yeah. Successful trip. Uh, much more successful than Vegas.
1: <laughs> where
3: I went like 0 for 15, like a loser.
1: <clears throat> that happens to the best of us. And you've been on a little bit of a tear online as well. Yeah, right?
3: yeah. Um, the past, since WCoop started, or like a week leading up to it, I've just been destroying everything. And I finally closed out a couple, which feels good. The multi 50 I won, and I won the Benjamin as well, after a bunch of like fourths and fifths at, at uh, pretty big final tables. So, doing pretty
1: well. Nice. Always feels good to get that win. Well that means you'll be in good spirits for our strategy discussion. Yes, <laughs> yes. Very cool. So we have a we have a few hands today. Um Diego has a couple of hands from his uh trip to the Regatta from a live event. And then we have one hand from our forum that we'll jump into. But I guess uh Diego, let's start off with your hands.
2: Sure. Um okay, so I I can't berate. wait to
3: berate you.
2: Just <laughs> I, I can't wait to get the berating. Trust <laughs> me. It's part of the podcast at this point. Um, so I played three events. I cashed in two. Um, this is wow. the. Yeah. Sick breath. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Everyone just <laughs> let that settle in for a second there. Did I hit you yet? I cashed <laughs> in two events. <laughs>
0: okay. Um,
2: this is the uh, 500. Dollar bounty, I guess like uh, $350, 50, and a hundred dollar bounty, right? It's so five hundred total buy in. Um, this is immediately after. Okay, so I played in the uh, the five hundred dollar two million guarantee, right? It's really really awesome uh, tournament for forty five hundred people. Um, and what was the structure I made, like in that? Uh, it was good. Um, oh, yeah? It was okay. yeah. It was it was good. First day, it was like 30, I mean thirty minute levels. They had every level though. They had they did two fifty five hundred. Um, they, I mean, I don't remember all the levels. People usually complain about not being there, but they were all there.
3: Um, minute levels?
2: 40, uh, Thirty minutes for the first eight or eleven, I can't remember, and then forty minutes after that. So for you know, for a 500 dollar tournament, it's pretty good, pretty good value. Um, yeah, and it was, uh, it was, you know, played deep stack most of the time, except when you got to the end, near the end of day one, everyone started knitting up really, really hardcore, and then the stacks got started to get really shallow. Like it was. You know, up until like you know 9 p.m., it was playing deep, and then once everyone started knitting, and by 12 a.m., it was just like average stack was like you know 13 bigs, right? And then once the bubble burst, everyone just you know went nuts, and it was a frenzy, and then it got deep stacked again. Um, but yeah, so I, I I made it to day two, and I, I busted. I think they played four, paid 400, and I busted like 374th. So I immediately registered for the uh, the bounty because that was start that started like 15 minutes you know prior. And Mm -hmm. so I I sit down at the table, it's a new table, um, and there's like five people there, there's like four people there, I sit down, we play one hand, and then um, Alex Rocha sits to my left, and I don't, you know, if you don't play the live circuit on the East Coast, you may not know him, but he's a really good East Coast live player. Um, He's won a couple WSOP circuit events, Um, he ended up...
3: really familiar, is he a TP member, or...
2: I don't think he's a TPE
3: member. I must have him on Twitter or something. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. His Twitter is hilarious. He's uh, <laughs> okay. the, the the underscore Alex underscore Rocha. I think I think it's. Yeah. is. I'll look that up before we're we're done. Um, but he's really funny.
4: Alex Rocha and I got some Brazilian golfer, so that's probably not the guy. Okay.
2: <laughs> no, it's not him. Um, anyway, so he's he's a, he's just a really good and he's super aggressive. And I, I played with him. Um, you know, a couple like I don't know for some reason I don't play live that much, but I end up at his table a lot, um, and I've seen him play,
1: so I, I kind of know his game okay, and he, he's he's good and aggressive. Um, yeah, Danny, he's a NYC Bullets or was on Full Tilt and Stars oh, back in the day, cool, yeah. so you might know him from yeah. there even. Yeah.
2: So okay, so he sits to my left. You know, after one hand, and then now now he's to my left, directly to my left. Um, and and, and uh, and I saw him on the payout line for the. Uh, for the five hundred two, so he must have just busted that too, right? Not that it, I think that means anything, but just background. So, uh, so the very first hand, um, I get ace queen on the button. Now we're six handed, right? I get ace queen on the button. Um, there's two limps, um, live poker, right? There's two limps. We're, we're at fifty hundred <laughs> and shit. I didn't write down starting stack, but probably fifteen. Yeah, fifteen fifteen k is probably what the starting stack is here. Um, 50, 100, two limps to me on the button. I make it 500, ace mm-hmm. queen off. Um, and sizing okay, guys? First of all, I mean, just check. Yeah, out. perfect, perfect. perfect. Yeah, okay. Live,
3: I like it. Yeah, for sure.
2: Okay. Okay. Um, and so Alex in the small blind makes it 1,500. So, you know, right off the bat, his first hand sitting down. Um, So, I mean, I'll tell you what I did, but just oh. curious, what would what, what you guys do? Oh,
4: call. Yeah, yeah you, you have ace queen suited or off
2: suit? Off
4: Oh I would still call, yeah. I'm just curious. Okay. Yep, that's
2: what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, so flop is King King Eight. Okay? So let's see. He made it fifteen hundred. I called the the blinds are he was one of those so it's minuscule blinds, so maybe it's thirty thirty one hundred in the pot, I guess, at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, he makes it fifteen hundred with the King King eight flop. Um I didn't write anything about suit you know, suits or anything like that, so it's probably just called rags.
3: Okay. Uh I I would just fold, I think. I'm just over it. It's early. Um I'm not just gonna throw away ace queen pre flop in position, but um I I think after the flop. I mean if he has a king he's competent enough, he's gonna bet it the same way and uh we're just gonna get in trouble too early, I think, so I would just let it go.
4: Yeah, I think Danny kind of nailed it. I think like that. If, the, if, the, if this kind of hand happened later in the game, it would be a much different proposition. Because mm. on a, on a king-king-eight flop, when someone three-bets you there, then you're going to have the best hand with ace-queen quite a lot of the time. But right. at the same time, in the early stages, like the, the best thing that's going to happen here is you're going to win a small pot if he somehow checks down both turn and river and you have ace-high, right. or so you bink an ace or you bink a queen. But the worst thing that could happen is you just get into a spot here where he has a king and you're drawing dead, and there's no reason to... Too many more chips in there, so I think fold is fine.
3: And again, it's it's live poker and structure is probably good. And why are you going to get into a leveling war with a rag when there's fish at the table uh, this early? It's just stupid.
2: Right. So, right.
3: Which Fair you enough. Obviously got into you don't. <laughs> which I honestly <laughs> got into. And why it becomes yeah. an interesting hand. It
2: I mean, be I...
4: Of a behind if you just folded the flop? You? <laughs> yeah. Imagine. Imagine <laughs> that was it. And yeah, you guys are right. I folded. So let's move on to the next hand. Yeah. <laughs> Great fold, oh, man.
2: <laughs>
3: okay. well, so, and so, the podcast there i mean no no, no we're oh,
2: we're going to do seven we're going to do 70 of these just like that <laughs> <laughs> and i told about him this <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: you're time. so good you're so good <laughs>
2: no okay i mean yeah i guess i i definitely agree with everything you guys said and i i i don't know i called though because i felt i figured <laughs> i figured that i was for, i it sounded like you guys are saying that a call is probably, you know, probably correct here, but given the situation, you know, you'd rather avoid it. And I think you're both right, but I guess what's going through my mind is that, well, you know, he's going to bet everything here. Um, he doesn't th- I don't think he knows me, right? So I, I, I mean, even though we've played, he, you know, he plays everything and I play, you know, one event, every series. So I recognize him just because he, he's, he's, he's really good, but I doubt he recognizes me. So, um, so I figured that I, you know, I call here, and I, I I figured he'd just give up on the on on the turn if he didn't have anything. And but I that's could, even,
3: you know, if he doesn't know you, um, he's probably not ever light.
4: Yeah, I would you think mean, that the the call pre bet. betting you light there is Both, small because, because
3: like if he doesn't know you, why is he gonna get out of line uh, into like a leveling war where uh, he can do that with like ace rag or something this early against a reg, because you might be ice-wing, like, super light there, so it's a good spot for him to 3-bet to three pre preflop. Um, but versus in an unknown, I don't think he's going to be light there, like, ever, that early. Right,
2: but 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 what is that, when you say light, I mean, what when you say he's strong, what is his range here for 3-betting then? It's, it's obviously ace-king. Is he going to do that with ace-queen? Is he going to 3-bet um, now with ace-queen?
3: Yeah, uh, yeah. maybe... I mean, I think the only hand you actually beat is ace-jack. ace-jack. Yeah, that's what
4: I was going to say. I think the worst hand the worst hand that he has is, like, ace-jack sometimes. So you beat
3: one hand, and right. the rest of the times you're just getting in trouble, especially on that flop. Right.
2: Yeah,
4: and the, the thing is that if it was, say, the flop was king-king-eight, you said, right?
2: King-king-eight, correct.
4: Yeah, I, I think if it was king-king-ten or king-king-nine, then... Well, not, not so much king-king-nine, but, like, king-king-ten, I might float one on because we have a gut shot, and because... You might 3-bet a pair like 9s where a 10 is also an out for us mm -hmm. Um, because it gives us the the best time with the the double-paired board. But he's not really going to be 3-betting any – he's not going to 3-bet 7s.
3: No, he's just going to call free
4: flop. So you don't have the 8 as an out. You don't have a gut shot or anything. You don't have like any backdoor flush draws or whatever. So like, actually, I don't like, even
3: know. I don't even know if he would three bet tens there, he might just call.
4: I, yeah, I mean, that's it's, it's I don't awesome. think he
3: three bets nines. I, I I really don't. I think he probably just calls. So you're looking at like tens plus and ace ace jack suited, ace queen off probably maybe mm. ace jack. So so I
2: I I will I think reads are important here because I disagree on his range with you guys. I think he's three betting ace nine suited. I think he's Three betting ace ten, and I think he's three betting sevens and above. Just just because I play with him and he's super aggressive, he's just super aggressive. And uh, maybe I didn't say make that clear uh, up front, but I, I think he's, his his three betting range is a little little wider. And I know it's probably not optimal to do those things. Um, Many cases, but I just think he he takes control of pots like all the time. So he has a better chance to
3: win them since he Mm -hmm. looks stronger and such. Yeah. He can see bet the Acer King high boards and just take down the pot. Exactly. Yeah, I I totally understand what you're saying. Um, But, yeah, I I guess it's super player dependent in this case. Um, But uh, I I still totally stick to what I already said. Yeah, that's fair.
2: That's fair. Okay, well, but I did call, um, obviously, like we said, um, and then the turn is ace uh, club, so I guess that puts uh, two clubs out there, um, so now I have an ace, obviously, I have a pair, um, and he, so what, what is it, he bet, it was 3,100, and he bet 15, so it's another three, so it's 6,100 in the pot, um, and he leads out 3,500, and so now I have, obviously have a pair, um, what are you guys thinking here?
3: call. yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, like, it's pretty tough to fold now, but it, right. because I mean, his his betting range on that turn is kind of. I, I don't think he would turn like if he did three bet nines or some other kind of pair. I don't know if he would turn them into a bluff on that turn very often, but I don't think we can fold with such. A I bluff. mean,
3: he he still has to bet regardless because, um, yeah, he might have to turn them into a bluff. Because you could have a pair of like um tens or something where now he can drive you off tens right um, that's true i th- i think
4: he would i think he would bet maybe the the lower portion of his pair ranges yeah. like if he did three bet sevens i would expect yeah, him to-
3: exactly exactly yeah, like yeah, you're but like, jacks. Range. Yeah. yeah yeah
4: yeah, i agree
2: with that and and i mean you know i think you know uh, he's gonna i'm gonna he's gonna think that I'm thinking that ace even if he doesn't have an ace, like he's, it feels like feels I feel like he's got to bet the ace to get me off for just those... those, those when he has those hands that you mentioned, yep. um, and I have not beat. I think, right. you know, if, once again...
4: It, basically, I think it all comes down to his three-betting range pre, because if his three-betting range pre-flop is as wide as you're suggesting it is, yeah. then this is a clear call on the turn, and, and yeah. it seems like we're going to... He's going to be value-betting there sometimes with ace-jack or whatever. Right. You know? So. I mean, the
3: weird thing is, though, like, if he has an ace, I almost... I guess he 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 might bet to fold to a raise because like uh, in a lot of cases I think he would check back the ace because um he's afraid you would have a king in your range and he's pot controlling. Right. Um, that's that's true. Mm-hmm. So because like he he hates his life when he has the bet fold like ace jack there. Right. On the turn. You know what yeah. I mean? So I almost feel like he would check an ace. Uh, I mean, I could be wrong, but... I,
2: I think, um, Danny, I think you described exactly what I was thinking at the time perfectly.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: I, I felt like when he bets the ace here, he probably doesn't have it. A- I'm almost certain mm-hmm. I have the best hand now. So, so the problem it, is he could have know, a, king, he a king. have a king. Yeah, I mean, right. He could have a king, right? But what king? I mean, is he three betting me with king-queen? I guess he is, a, given the range. Right. I just... yeah, yeah. exactly. King, yeah, Queen suited for sure. Um, and then obviously aces are well, aces are good for him, right? And oh wait, he's a, yeah, he has possible. He has aces, um, which is very unlikely. And it's possible he has kings. It's very unlikely. But I f- just feel like most of the time, um, I'm, this card is great for me, especially when he bets. I just mm. you know, I think I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go with that. Um, because I think then the river, I, I call. Um, and I think the river is where there's something interesting about the hand. So the river's the river's an, an eight. Um, so the, the, the board is now King, King, eight, eight, ace, King, King, yeah, King, King, eight, eight, ace. Mm -hmm. Um, and he thinks for about 15 seconds and checks. So now I'm, you know, pretty, pretty certain I have the best hand here, obviously. Snap check. So, so here's, but here's, here's what made me think about the hand and, um, and I talked to him about this hand a long time afterwards, um, and we both thought it was really interesting uh, when we get to results. Um, given that I feel like I have the best hand, can I do something? Is it too tricky to get more chips from him? Like, I just feel like I have the best hand all the time. It, can I get chips from him somehow, no. like doing
3: something weird or crazy?
4: I think, or? I think anything that you beat, he would fold, because you have zero bluffing range at this point. Like the you've, only you've, hand
3: you're ever getting value out of is ace check. And well, you even, even bet Jeff, like one quarter pot, you would have to bet like one quarter, one third pot, or something. Right? But right
2: why exactly. not? Why not? Okay, but perfect, Danny. That's what I'm thinking. Why not? Like, if I feel like I'm always good here, and there's something in his range that I can get some value from, like, you know, yeah, checking checking makes sense, especially if I'm afraid that I'm going to get check shoved on, and I'm not, you know, hate my life at that point. But I'm, I'm, you know, if I check and he shoves on me, I'm probably just going to call anyway because I'm. I don't know. I, I feel like it's bullshit if he does that.
4: Um, but, but I don't really like, want
3: to. I actually hate my life if I am ever facing a check shove there.
4: Yeah, if he check like, shops that, river, you're like- in
3: a live tournament with a decent structure. I just just check. You win the pot. You, you you like you win a significant pot really early. Um, just. He, if he's, comp- like, obviously he's confident enough to do all this, so that means he's confident enough to check shove, a king, or whatever. I, I just think it's way too thin.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, you're, you're getting value from one hand and one hand only, ace-jack. Yeah, and to me, like... Or maybe ace-10, I don't know.
4: We already established that we're not, like, 100% certain that he three-bets ace-jack all the time in that spot. And yeah. and then what, once we got to the turn, we established that we weren't 100% sure he was going to bet ace-jack in that spot. Yeah. And therefore, once he gets to the river and he checks, like... I feel like so much of his range here is king X that I I if, if we bet here I would expect to get check raised more often than on like a random river yeah. on an eight because when, when he has a king here he knows like he basically has the nuts.
2: Yeah, I guess sure, I guess check raise. If I get a check raise, it's 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 actually a, a really tough spot. Um, but but I don't. Do you think that happens at all? He doesn't just go for value if he has the king, given that I've already called two streets and I guess I'm a loose fish.
3: Like no, because he- once like. If he shoves, he's really looking for a superhero call by Ace Queen, and like where you're calling the flop, he's not like. It's hard for him to put you on an Ace anyway.
4: I think if he ha- if he has a King here, because because the board just paired the ace, like say he has King Queen here, which is the nut King that doesn't make a house. Like right. if he, if he's trying to get value out of like any King Jack that you had, like you you now chop. So. To me, the the only play that he can really make here, if he has if he has a king or if he has aces or quad kings or quad eights or something, the only play he can really make is to check and try to get you to value bet something exactly. thinner because like you can't possibly call with um, anything that he doesn't chop with. You know, like if you have a king, he chops. If you have an ace, you probably fold to another barrel.
2: If he bets two K, right, but if he has a king, what? Wouldn't it be better for him to just bet, like, 2k on the river? If I was a king and I, and I look him up in my aces because it's hard to fold, that's that's Right,
4: but, I mean, if, if you have a king and, and he has a king and he checks ships, then he's just chopping. But if he checks ships on you, he has a chance to get you to bet something that you might otherwise not bet. I don't
2: think he's going to expect me to bluff. Like, I just don't think he's going to expect me given that I'm an unknown to him, I don't think he's going to expect me you, to bluff. You don't have a bluffing
4: range, but I think what he's trying to do is get you to value bet thin which is exactly yep. what you were planning mm-hmm. to do on this mm-hmm. river. Right. And that's what I'm scared of, that his check on the, on the river with a king is a great play because it makes us think about value betting thing, which is why I wouldn't think about value betting thing. Right, right, so. right. <laughs> right.
3: Right.
2: That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I, just, I think I you're
3: way over overthinking this river right. spot because, like, you're in a live tournament. We should be playing small ball for the mm-hmm. most part early.
4: Um, okay. Yeah,
3: I, I think it's just way okay. too thin. All right. One well, I would I, call the flop to begin with, because I, right. I really don't like this whole scenario at all.
2: Okay. So I I do check um, behind, and he goes, your ace is good, and then he turns over nines. So I was just thinking, like, is there any size there that I, you know, that that that's the reason why I brought this hand to the, the podcast, is, is for the river discussion, and if there was anything I could do there to get value from a hand like that. there's uh, zero um, chance he ever
4: like, calls with nines. Zero chance,
2: right, yeah. And I, I asked him that, and he said he's holding the nines, so... Yeah, right. I, I think he
4: might even fold 9s to a min-bet there because right. he's just never good.
2: Yep. Yeah, I'm just trying to see if there's any way to get value there, and I just wasn't sure mm-hmm. about it, but it sounds like probably not.
1: Okay. Cool. Cool. What do you guys think of his 3-bet pre with 9s? I, I would just flat there. I would kind of just flat, flat there time. as well. But, I mean, yeah, if, if,
3: if he does 3-bet, I guess he has a better chance to win the pot because his range is kind of face-up when he's flatting. But, I mean, I would even flat aces and shit and sometimes in that spot, so...
4: Yeah, I, right. I think I would flat there as a default. Like, again, some, some if, like, if, I don't know, if Diego was putting too many chips in, like, if he had a read on him, then I might be yep. more time to three-bet. But right, right. if he doesn't have any read, he's just sat down on the table, I think flatting is standard. Yeah, I agree.
1: So did he call you a fish for calling his flat bet with ace-queen? <laughs> no,
2: no, no. We actually talked about it <laughs> a long time. He's a good guy. We, we we talked about it for a long time, and, and, uh, and yeah, he, he kind of read my hand uh, there at the end, but... I guess I played it the way you would play an ace once you get to the turn and river all right cool okay cool that's uh that's one hand um another hand I have is from the next tournament I played, which was event fourteen it was a three it was a four hundred dollar tournament um there was no guarantee on it, so it wasn't a big tournament it was only hundred and seventy runners um and uh it was uh It was, I made, it was 10-handed, I made the final table 10-handed final table, um, and it was the once again, the first hand of the final table. Um, I got to the final table with 460k, and blinds were 10k, 20k, um, and no one had a big stack at that table. I think the biggest stack was probably about 650k, and there were a couple of, 100K, like maybe two two stacks were like 150 or 100K. So there were two shorties. I was right in the middle there, probably if out of 10, I was probably fifth, you know, right right there in the mm-hmm. middle, just to give you guys an idea of the, of the stack sizes and, and the situation. Um, mm-hmm. For ICM purposes, the payout, the next payout was, I guess, a $400 tournament. The next payout was, I think, a 1,000 or 1,100. Um, and first place was 18K. Um okay. So, very first-hand, um am under the gun plus two, and I have nines with mm-hmm. 23 big blinds.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, is this a ship or an open?
4: It's never a ship.
2: Never, ever okay. in your but, life a ship. Yep, yep, okay. I agree. Just going to okay. ask for the, the, yep. the purposes of the...
1: He shipped it. No, no, no. I opened <laughs> it. Literally
2: I
3: just hit end call. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Carl, I'm like, what am I doing with this? Watch anything on your own site? Like, (laughs) Of course.
2: This is an instructional podcast, and I want to be as instructional for the listeners as possible. So I'm asking. We're going to cover every single option. (laughs) And Um, you know what? Some of our listeners may not realize.
4: I don't think there's any spot where I would open shop 23 big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. agreed. Ten-handed with anything. Yeah, right.
2: But you know what, I think there may be some people who who don't realize that. And no, no, no. I, so, I, yeah. I think it's perfectly fine. Yeah. I'm okay. just riding <laughs> All right, so so I so I open, right, to forty K. Um, it folds around to the big blind. Okay. Now the big blind, I had played with him. He was he was a very good player. Um and in the you know, once again in the midst of these all these live, you know, dolts, um he was he was actually really good. Um I played with him probably pre bubble. Um, maybe a little bit after the bubble, may, um, and he was three-betting people. He three-bet me a couple times, um, I, he, and he caught me you know, with my hand in the cookie jar a couple times, um, and then I think I four-bet him once when I had a decent hand. So we had a little bit of interaction. It wasn't like we had a huge history, but I thought he was a really good player, and I noticed that he was talking to some other really good players at, at various points, so he seemed to be you know, well-known there. Um, and so it folds to him, he has 375k, right, to start the hand cuz I counted um everyone. Mm-hmm. It was the one was the first hand, so I was like, kind of counting everyone's chips before we sat down. And he had 375k and he makes it 125, right? And if you know, it gets back to me obviously and I have nines. Um and I I'd fold it. I mean, like I know, I just I, didn't, fold. I yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I just didn't fold. Think you could get it in there, right? Mm-hmm.
4: I would yeah. fold. I would yeah, I might this may be overly nifty, but I might even fold like Jax there because there's just the two shorties, to... yeah. Yeah, with like two oh, seven Jax, or eight big Jax, back.
3: I'm literally throwing up like, oh, yeah. this is right. awful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, ace king and queens. I, I can't fold queens, so I just don't know how. Um, Jax is put a gun on my mouth and or flip a coin or something. I don't, I have no idea.
4: Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think nines is an easy fold
3: there. Yeah, I, I think so too. But I want to talk about
2: his bet size, like his race. Like, how do you interpret his race? Like, you know, if we had like, let's imagine we had jacks, right? Because that's the hand I'm kind of more interested in. Right. Like, sure. Hard enough. Sure. You know, like what is what is he doing this with? Like, he's he knows I'm I open. Like, there's definitely some some player perception here at, at play because he, I, I've been opening a lot. He's three bet me. I four bet him. Like, so we have a little history, but not a ton. But three, he bets 125 out of 375. Mm-hmm. It's obviously a huge portion of his stack. But if he has aces or kings, wouldn't he make it a little smaller? Like, why is he, what's he making it one? What's he making it 125 with?
4: Well, to me, it depends on what his perception is of how you would, or how you would think React. about sizing. Like, if
3: he's trying to make it look like ace king, he could have the top. If you think about it, it could right, be yeah, another that's, level. That's the thing.
4: Like, if he if he thinks you're the kind of player who would who would interpret a smaller raise as stronger, then yep. he should go bigger. Yeah. Um so right,
0: okay.
4: to me it's and just, also, it's just really mean, a question of like he knows he's never folding, so Right. Is it is he trying to induce more fold equity or is he trying to induce a shot from you?
3: Right. Huh. I don't know. I mean with with the two shorties, um and you're opening on with the gun plus two yeah from that stack and you having yeah. to call those shorties, I mean your range is pretty tight there. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. your your opening range is literally like eights plus like sevens plus right um ace jack yeah yeah i agree I agree uh, he, he, and he forward. can't
4: he can't induce there with ace king, so it just feels like he has exclusively pairs higher than nines so yeah yep
3: um okay. I don't even know if – he might just shove Ace King in that spot, I think. That's yeah. what I mean.
4: Like, he can't, he can't like, three-bet call to induce you wider because ICM-wise, he has to just ship it in. Like, yeah, he, just
3: take away the play from you where he doesn't have to flip with your nines or whatever. Cause exactly. if you do, like, that's one of, the that. things,
4: it's one of the things that ICM induces you to have to do all the time, which is shove in spots where you might try to induce otherwise. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Right. And so, because of the two short stacks, like he, he shouldn't be three bet calling Ace King there to induce you to shove Ace Queen because you're never shoving Ace Queen. Right. Right. So, I uh, yeah. I just think he he I mean he he may have Jacks or Tens here and be trying to like he knows he has to go with it, but he he's trying to make it look even stronger. But that's a pretty unlikely scenario, and I just feel like he almost always just has it here. He just has a Queens plus. Right.
2: What are you doing in his spot with Ace Jack? Folding. Folding. Folding so right, what about, East, what about, yeah,
3: okay, what about East Queen? <laughs> Shoving.
2: Folding
4: a, and not telling anyone. No, I don't know, about that.
3: <laughs> I, I don't think, so. I gotta shove.
4: Folding and
1: saying, oh, I always get seven deuce in that spot. He has, <laughs>
3: he has like 18 big blinds to start, or 19, 18 Three, and a yeah. half. Yeah, 18 and a half. Yeah, like, like can't fold East Queen.
4: Yeah, I, I think, I think so. it's close. Yeah. And I because think I, I, think I mean you're not opening
3: the top. top, you're folding out a ton. I think ace queen is the bottom and uh, uh I don't know, I I shove tens in his
4: spot. I guess. Yeah, I would shove tens, I think. I nines nines in his spot is kind of puke. Yeah. Well, yep. Ten, nines and ace queen are like the ones that make me puke. Tens plus I go. Ace King I go.
1: Right,
2: well, did you find
4: out what he had no, you folded i, I
2: folded. Right? no I folded I missed the first hand. he's not gonna show me his hand right you know right. <laughs> it's uh i I had no idea what he what he had. I ended up ninth anyway, so
1: I thought maybe when you guys got heads up <laughs> you would have, <laughs> it. You would have <laughs> right cool all right
2: well that was my hands thanks guys thanks for uh walking through those That's That's very cool
1: all right so we have uh we have a hand from the forum as well, and of course we picked the guy with the most hard to pronounce username can you hold
3: on one second? How did you get ninth? Um, let's <laughs> you know what I'm trying to remember. <laughs> so that's what we should be talking about.
4: Here. Yeah, no. I think whatever <laughs> your bust out oh, hand was probably. No, seven no seven the, seven bl- seven. Bl- the blinds
2: went. The blinds went up to. Uh, you know what? I I I don't really remember the hands. I'm going to go to my Twitter account and look. Um okay. The blinds did go up. Um, the, like the next hand, we 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 got to the final table at 10:20, but it was going to. 1530 uh, very 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 quickly. I don't know if that's relevant to the last hand or not, to mm-hmm. you guys. Um, so then I ended up with what is it, 12 or 11 big blinds after that.
3: And the shorties must have doubled somehow. And, yeah, or exactly. Shorties, oh yeah, the guy to so my rotating.
2: Uh, the guy yeah. to my left, river doubled
3: like six times <laughs> at the final table,
2: like <laughs> just from like 100 to like 200 to 400, then he got down to like 150 and he doubled again. He was driving me absolutely nuts. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah, okay, so then I got down to... Uh, so I think I... I don't think I open-folded again, because given my stack size, I think I got really card-dead and had to fold a lot, and I ended up with nine big blinds. So I, uh, in the small blind, and I jammed king-four into king-queen.
3: Blind vs blind,
2: blind versus blind, uh-huh. Yeah, It was really uneventful. It just the blinds went up really quickly. How many I,
3: chips? Any idea what the big blind had stack wise? Ah, uh, we were we were equal. Oh, easy show. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's that sucks. yeah.
2: yeah so the blinds went up next hand, so I ended up at like 12 bigs, and then I think I had to fold an orbiter two, and then I was nine bigs, and then that was it. Yeah. Okay. And and, and of course you could say you're probably just too nitty not finding a good spot right that that's probably i mean you know, I'd have to show you every hand right <laughs> <All> right
4: um, <laughs> to, no, to I mean, honestly like if there's a stack shorter than you and you have 12 bigs folding a lot it's almost certainly correct mm-hmm.
2: exact yeah, exactly so i just feel like i was just really card dead and find any good spots and given the icm i thought it was okay and 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 once again nine bigs at that point there was probably like you know two people a little shorter than me and probably Three people with around the same, because the blinds were so high at that point, so I thought shoving King 4 into that was, was perfectly fine. Yeah, but, and there's uh, usually
4: a point when you get to that, like, when average stacks get that low, that you just kind of have to accept that it's going to be pretty high variance, and right. ICM-wise, right. it's going to be like 1% or 2% either way, and you can't possibly know, really. Yep. Yep, exactly.
1: So, uh, that, that's how I got that point. And why can't they just have Ace-Queen when they call? They have to have you <laughs> yeah, I know! <laughs> so, <laughs> but I mean, <laughs>
3: some people might even fall King-Queen there. He thought
2: of uh, yeah, no. He true. snapped. He snapped.
1: Especially live knit. He he snapped. He, he snapped. was not a yeah. He wasn't
2: well, alive live knit. He was a good player. Okay, well this is relevant. Yeah. He was a good player. Does that make? There's another guy who seemed to be connected with good good players. Um, I got it. yeah. So look, look at me. I get into hands with the only two at that table that were. <laughs> <laughs> um, and,
1: I think it's still a shove no matter who's in the big blind. Though.
4: Yeah, I think so. Pretty much.
2: Yep. Okay. Yeah, I agree. So I thought there was nothing I can do. All right. Cool. So that those are my hands. Okay. Let me escape this with any, without any further berating.
1: <laughs> cool. All right. So the hand uh, that, we, that we picked up on the forum today is uh, from Noir Desert 87 That's the best I'm going to be able to do on his screen name. Uh, and I actually picked this hand because I think it's a spot that I've been finding myself in a lot lately, and I'm assuming other players are as well. So he, uh, he actually li- – and we'll have a link to this um, in the podcast notes. So if you want to check the hand history, you can – he has a, uh, a hand that he actually sets the hand we're going to discuss up with, um, which I won't go through all the details of that hand, but it just essentially shows that um, this guy is, I guess, a bit of a loose cannon spew. He actually says that he's running fifty thirty-five, although that's only over 15 hands, but
4: mm-hmm.
1: that's, I guess, still almost somewhat significant. Um, yeah, so the uh, the hand in question um, is at six hundred twelve hundred. This is actually on a site called Winamax, which I'm not familiar
4: with, but maybe you are, Matt. Um, I'm. I mean, I haven't played on it, but I know what it is. I know it's like okay, a euro site that is based in France that some people will play on, but I I don't really have any experience with what the player player pools are like or anything like that.
1: Okay. Yeah. So and and obviously me being American, I've no idea what it is, but he said it's like a series kind of similar to Scoop on this site. So um so yeah, we're at six hundred, twelve hundred. Uh Hero starts down with thirty-three big blinds. So he has a little over forty K. Uh the villain who I mentioned was running fifty thirty five has Jesus, two hundred and twenty seven big blinds. <laughs> nice life. Um <laughs> So we are under the gun, or the hero is under the gun, with Ace Jack off. And, he, again, we're at six hundred, twelve hundred. He opens to 2550, which seems like a fine raise size. Yeah. Um, villain calls, and everybody else folds. The flop, so 6900 in the pot. Flop is Jack 5-4 Rainbow. Uh, pretty good flop for us. He C-bets 2950 into 6900. I assume we all like the C-bet and the sizing. Yep. Yeah, So I think that's pretty straightforward. Now, this is where I kind of think it gets interesting. Because, and, and Matt and I were actually talking about this concept a little bit off the call. Um, it seems like nowadays people are floating so many flops that you find yourself in these sort of awkward positions on the turn. And I think this is a good example of that. So after we see bet and he calls, there's now 12,800 in the pot, and the turn is a queen. So the board now is queen, jack, four, five. We have ace, jack. There's two diamonds on the board. What are, we're first act. What are we doing now when this queen... Hey,
2: before deals? the pros chime in, I just want to mm-hmm. jump in and say, like, what I don't understand, and maybe you guys can talk about this, is, is what are we intending to accomplish with a bet here? Like, we're going to fold out anything that we beat, and we're just going to get called by better is what
1: i'm thinking <clears throat> on the flop you no, mean no on the turn on the turn oh, okay yeah, yeah, okay cuz we lead
2: out right so that's my first, so just you know as the amateur that's my first thought here to the pros like why why you know maybe the guy made a mistake here but what do you that's that's my yeah i mean it's not like we're mistake. getting
3: it's not like we're getting three streets out of eights here
2: right exactly that's mm-hmm. what that's exactly what i was thinking. <clears throat> yeah
3: right.
1: so you're diego you're kind of advocating for like a check call i guess correct that's what i would be thinking here
4: yeah that's, so that's, that's what, what i would advocate too. i i think in this spot, the the problem is that, as well as a lot of people floating and and just betting this turn no matter what, um, it's also pretty likely that, like if he's if he's a weaker player, he might fold a little bit too much on this turn because he's not really aware that it's a good card for us to barrel. So we don't want to give him any reason to fold like a weak jack. Whereas if we check, he might check back and call the river. You know, um, so basically we don't have much of a read on him, but. Our default, I think, here should just be to check and pot control a little bit. Right.
3: Uh, think about his flatting range pre as well. I mean, he never has the top. I don't think. Uh, I mean, some competent players might, but there's only one one real squeeze stack behind, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just one. There's the shortest stack 21, is 21. Big, big. So I don't and think.
3: Yeah. Uh, Six-handed, I, I think he's always going to three-bet the top there with that many chips that deep.
1: Yeah. Yep. Right. And what do we? What I mean? What kind of range can we assign him when he calls the flop? Or is it his entire range because he's floating so often?
4: Um. I mean, to me, it seems like based on the previous hand, he seems to have a clue. Um, hmm. which means that I I would expect him to flat pre with mostly hands that flop pretty well. Um, like kind of suited middling card to high card hands rather than pairs, because thirty three bigs is a little bit um a little bit of a short effective stack for him to try and set mine on. So it seems to me that when he calls that flop, firstly he's gonna be he's gonna have some jacks in his range, which is obviously great for us. But it also means he's going to have a lot of hands in his range that pick up equity on that queen turn, especially with it putting two diamonds out there. So when he does raise the turn like that, it seems to me like he would do that if he floated with a King Ten or if he floated mm-hmm. with a 10-9 a or a you know an ace ten even, something like that. So it to me, I mean I when I first looked at the previous hand that the the user posted, I I think I misread it and it seemed to me like he was a weaker player. But at this point it seems like it's pretty likely that he does have a clue and he uh he just he got all these chips from from having a clue really and he's just trying to outplay people because he has the chip lead
1: so yeah, perhaps right
4: um I think if he's a if he's a decent player with the chip lead this turn becomes much more of a hand where we want to continue but um I think we should kind of before we bet the turn, we should be aware of how we're going to respond to a raise if we do get raised.
3: I totally agree. You should have a like, plan. Like, what what are we doing if he raises us here?
4: Yeah, uh, like it should be. It should either be a clear bet fold on the turn, or, should we, or it should be a, a check call. You know, or it should right. be a clear bet get it in. You know, like it right. should be. You should have it in your head that it's clear one way or the other.
1: Yeah, and just to clarify for the listeners, in the actual hand, hero bet fifty-eight fifty, and. Basically, he got Minray. The guy basically. Sorry, yeah, I skipped the head. And, um, we yeah, that's okay.
2: Yeah, that was my fault. Sorry. <laughs> I, I,
1: I, yeah. Good, 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 good. No, no problem. So I, yeah, so I think now, I guess, as played, what are we, what are we doing in this spot? It's kind of, it's pretty gross. I mean, our only uh, real option, I guess, is to show. Wait,
2: so, so let's summarize. So
1: the hero has Ace Jack,
2: right? He mm-hmm. he's under the gun. He opens and gets called by by this chip leader in middle position. The flop is Five Jack Four Rags. And the hero c bets about half pot or a little less than half pot and gets called. And now the turn size, the the pot is twelve thousand eight hundred, with a queen of diamonds. So you got five of hearts, jack club, uh, jack of spades, four of diamonds, queen of diamonds, twelve thousand eight hundred in the pot. And hero makes it fifty eight fifty, and gets raised to twelve thousand. That that's that's the situation. So now now we're back yeah. to the hero.
4: So they, on the turn. The after the raise, the pot is we have about pot size left, right? Yeah, yeah. And if we call, then we're going to have like twenty five left, and the pot's going to be thirty five (laughs) ish.
2: Guys, I just, I just, just, as played, I just fold here. Is that? I mean, I just feel like I'm going to be putting it in bed on the on a lot of rivers, or I have to just you know put it in, get it in. Because if he is bluffing, he's going to go again on the river, and, and I'd have to make a big call with second pair. So I usually just fold here. Is, is am I making a mistake there? Mm. As played, I don't think I get to this point, but as played, that's what I
3: would. Yeah, uh, yeah, say. we have to obviously discuss as played. Um, <laughs> uh. I think. I,
4: think I guess. From. Sorry, carry on.
1: Oh, oh, I was just going to say for me, it's just so hard.
4: It is, to put him on a queen because. Right. Why well, I don't Jack think he makes even makes
3: sense. I guess. Yeah, yeah I mean,
4: like Queen so, Jack is the only hand that makes sense to me because. I mean, he can have a
3: set. Yeah, make sense I mean, he could have now. yeah. I suppose
4: he could have fives of fours.
3: Because he would just call the flop, and now yeah. uh, that it's become the boards become a lot more wet. Um,
4: yeah.
3: He can. He obviously. And he's got to you know,
2: he's gotta build. a pot to get the chips in on the river, Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just don't know what I, I guess the the argument for folding is that what is he ever what's he ever raising on that turn that we, that we beat
2: well to Matt's point he thinks that he could have king ten or now a flush draw well
4: like if he, yeah, I mean, if, he if he's going to float us if he's going to float us with like broadway hands and stuff like that that haven't hit that flop he kind of has to raise that turn because he can't just like peel and expect us to shut down and fold the river too often mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, I mean, like, if he has King-10 here, unless it's King-10 of diamonds, really, I would expect him to bluff this turn and fall to a shove rather than... rather I don't than think like. think he
3: would even fall to a shove here, do you think? Um, maybe I, not, I don't know, I can't be my, that much uh, with King Ten. I mean, I think right. the only hand he might bluff here with that he's not committed to is, like, Ace-10.
4: Yeah, I, you, may, you may be right, actually. You may be right that he just has to get right. it in. I just I, think I he has,
3: like, that's good. a lot of chips to put in uh, with... The other guy's stacked behind. Um, I think if he's raising there, he's... he's yeah, yeah,
1: the you, So right. like, I,
3: I really think our equity versus his range uh, in this particular spot is not good, even if he, we do have the best hand at the mm-hmm. moment. I think most times we are either beat or we're still not in the best shape. So I yeah. think it's a pretty clear fold. Yeah, I, I
4: think you're right. i thinking about it now in terms of like how much is actually going to be if we're going to be shoving over his raise, we're not going to be shoving for more than like I mean, what, 20 plus twenty twenty right. k on top and by the time yeah, he definitely can't fold once he once right. he raises. So I miscalculated. Um so yeah, and I would expect once he raises that turn like he's pretty committed and if he's going to be doing that, it's going to be with like a maybe a king jack of diamonds, maybe yeah. a king ten of diamonds. Ace, well six, seven of diamonds, ace two of diamonds, so, like a ton of hands that have really good equity against us. Even, even if yeah, we and are the other head, times
3: so. he has fives, fours, or queen jack,
4: right, precisely. Like there's no there's no hand here in his range that we're crushing. No, right. right. So, there's no,
3: never never jack
4: king, right? Yeah, I don't even
3: yeah, think he does right this right. with ace ten. Thinking about it, I just don't think. He no, knows. I
4: think you're right now. Now because he has to call, like yeah, unless he he has just ace ten, 10 diamonds.
3: diamonds, yeah.
4: yeah. Um, so to me, yeah, I, like, I I think we I would definitely check the turn, but I think once we bet and get raised on this turn, it sucks what we have to fold. Yeah.
1: Right. So I think the lesson here is check call pot control this turn.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What if if we check call like let's say we had checked and the guy bets, let's say he bet what we bet 50, mm-hmm. What are we doing on like a completely blank river it just check on on calling big again?
3: Sizing, um...
1: Yeah. I mean
4: I, sorry, say that again, what did you say if we check and he checked back?
1: Well let's say let's say we check and he and he actually bets. Oh.
4: We check I mean, he bets.
1: Because we're not we're not folding if 58. we check. We're we're always check calling the yeah. pen, right? Yes, yeah. Yes.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, so then River do we just
3: a complete check call blank, again? But... Um huh.
4: I mean I but wouldn't expect really, him
3: to, yeah, to value bet
4: too much thinner they than Ace Jack, but at the same time, like if he's gonna if he's gonna if he's gonna float the flop, if we think he's floating the flop that wide, he has to bet the turn, whatever it is, pretty much. Yeah. And therefore if if the river comes off blank and we've called the turn, I don't expect him to barrel too much again um without
3: Actually you know what? Um I would block or bet the river on a yes, blank. I really like that actually I think. I that's that was the best be play right play. here. I think that's yeah. definitely the best play, Bet fold.
4: Yeah, so, like, we check we check call for, like, 6K on the turn, and then the pot's, like, 24, and we bet, like, yeah, 5K, 6K, and fall to a shelf. Yep. I like I that. that. Ah, I like that, too. I like that, too. Yeah, I, I think bet. let's get into the psychology a little bit about...
2: Thanks. Let's get into the turn bet Kidding. a little bit. Um, I think I'm going to just make an assumption here and try to figure out why the hero bet and, and see if we can talk about that. Because, um, you know, I don't... As we said, we don't think we're going to get value from much worse here, and it puts us in this awful spot when we get raised. Um, is it? I think a lot of people bet here because they don't want to get bluffed on the turn and then have to make a decision on the river. Right. They think this player is good. Um, but I think you just have to be able to
3: deal but, with that, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I, I think people need to learn to pot control through their bets as well. Like The blocker on the end saves us chips, but also gets value sometimes. Right, mm-hmm. um, so it's kind of like mergey, but we're folding to shove. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're not accomplishing anything by betting the turn, like. Except
2: really. for when he folds, we don't. When we we clearly had the best hand when he folds, it just makes the hand easier to play. When, yeah. when when he folds, you know, it just makes it gets rid of the the difficulty of the of the hand a lot of the time. Right. Like, well, I you know, think.
4: I think well, checking actually, makes the hand. If you want to, if you want to make the hand easy to play, then I think we should check because I, uh, I think the likelihood of him checking back most of his value range here is pretty high. Like any any random jack ten or pocket eights or something, I don't think he's going to bet the turn too often with them. So when we check, we're kind of polarizing his range to. to I think people are afraid
2: of checking the. the be- I think people are afraid of checking a hand like Ace Jack here because they don't want to get outplayed in the hand that they have the best the best hand, in a hand where they have the best hand. Well, that's
3: hand. just a weak passive player. It is. It, right. it mm. really is. They're, they just want to shut it down. They're afraid yeah. so-and-so happened to them so many times that they don't want it to happen. They don't want to get the yeah. play. They just want to yeah. take it for what it is and move on. But I think yeah, that's, so that, a that's really bad, though. That's what separates yeah. the, the decent from the really good, you know. Yeah, um, that's
2: why I'm pointing it out, because I think it is a critical... Change in your game to to Mm -hmm. go from you know uh, weak and and bad to uh, more competent players to be able to. That's
3: kind of like a probably like a standard play from like ten years ago. It seems right,
2: (laughs) right, right, right. But I I think that's like floating.
3: Like floating didn't really exist back then. Like that's what people are stuck on. Like um, like like usually if there shouldn't be any. Queen in his range, I guess, um, and people would just take it down because people would never float with King-Queen and stuff back in the day. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think, and that's why, and I alluded to this when I was setting up the hand, I think that's why I found it interesting because I think I'm actually starting to, like, double reverse level myself on a lot of these plays where I think I'm getting floated, but I'm not really sure, and I don't know. I'm I'm finding myself, like, not seabedding as much. On flops and well, stuff.
4: I, I think the key to the key to float spots is really understanding what kind of hands that people are going to be entering the pot with in the first place. And and by that I mean like on this kind of flop, if he's going to float, what, what's a pure float? What's like semi value? What's you know what's him calling for value? Because like when he calls pre, if he if he's calling pre with exclusively like pairs and high like suited Broadway cards, then uh, there's only a certain portion of those on this flop which are actually a float because a lot of them are calling just because they have the best hand. Like, most of the pairs uh, above fives are going to call just for value, whereas, you know, King-Jack and Jack-10 and Queen-Jack have hit this flop as well. So really, the only actual floats he's going to have, if that's his pre-flop calling range, is King-Queen, maybe King-10, maybe Ace-10, hands like that. But even those, like, they're going to have a bunch of outs against you. There's there something... There are... uh, okay, go, sorry, sorry Finish. Okay, well, I was just going to say this, like, there's spots where you'll come up blind on blind where you'll be in the small blind and the big blind will peel a raise pre-flop. And you know that, uh, because, you know, he's in position getting good odds and you might be deep stacked, like, he can have seven, nine offsuit. He can have queen five suited, all these kind of hands. And that's when float spots become even more difficult because people's ranges get even wider. So really, mm-hmm. like, nailing their pre-flop range is kind of the key to me to making the flop easier to play.
3: Um, one thing to keep in mind, too, is that these days it's, like, super hard to get three streets of value. So, yep. I think you could even make an argument for checking the flop. Because I don't think you're going to get three streets from eights and, and a lot of his flatting range anyway. Um, any thoughts?
4: I, I would prefer that if... Because if it's it a
3: rainbow, um, I mean, you, it's not like you're going to... If you double barrel, he's just going to fold out a lot of his range anyway.
4: Yeah, um, I I would prefer it. I think if um if it was if we had Ace Queen, it was Queen five four, just because um there's kind of the like with with Ace Queen on Queen five four, there's just it's just the kings that we're worried about. But there's mm. there's that extra few scare cards that can come that can make him fold a little bit more or who, who, who can that can give him sure you know,
0: yeah give him a yeah, better well, pair. Uh, so
4: I, I just I I think it's fine. Like I certainly don't hate checking flop here, but I'd be less inclined to do it when our top pair is, like, a jack or lower, I guess. Sure. Right.
1: It's kind of an interesting thought, though, Danny. Yeah, that's I just something I want to think about there. more.
3: Uh, I, I think you could make an argument for fl- um, checking the flop. I just don't think yeah. you're ever going to get three streets out of a lot of his flatting range. And now, he, right. by checking the flop, um, it, it your hand strength could look a lot weaker if you if he bets and we just call, and then... Right. We check raise the turn or something, or we bet the turn or whatever. Um, right. Or we just check call again, and then you're inducing bluffs as well instead of yeah. betting, betting him off a lot of his range, you know. People just tool out a lot of times
4: when you don't see that these flops right. are in right. when you check call the flop on, like, jack five four, they're just like, oh, he has ace king and doesn't want to Exactly, forward. exactly. Yeah. So, uh,
1: yeah. so a lot of times we might not even get two streets on this hand. Right. But if we check the flop, we can actually get two streets mm-hmm. by him bluffing. Yeah. But to, yeah,
2: to, to Matt's point, um, and I, I like that, actually. That's a really great way to think of it. But, but to, let's play out with Matt's point a little bit. If it's, you know, queens and king, like a queen or a king comes on the turn, where da- Danny, are you just going to. I know you can't absolutely say you'd go to call two streets here or, mm-hmm. or, or drive two streets, but, you know, if a king or a queen comes on the turn and your face, you know, what would you do there? Would you. Just check
1: again or leave yeah, out I, to get I second check value. Call.
3: I would check, check call and call. probably check call again. Right, right, okay. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you might actually get three street way. And <laughs> we're
3: also not getting in any really sticky situation at all. Right. By yeah. By playing but... it that way. Just Yeah, you know,
4: and we have the added advantage of like if we bink trip jacks on the river or something, he's gonna be like, Oh well he can't have a strong jack here because exactly. he's checking the clock. Right. So I really like that line. It's great.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I'm gonna play with that a little bit, yeah,
4: I
3: think it's just you know there's obviously not one way to play a hands, but like hands where hands where like their range is is kind of face up, you can kind of play around with there's just different lines to take, and I think that's definitely one of them,
1: yeah, yeah, and it's not even to say that it's the perfect this is the perfect example of a hand for that, but it's just an interesting concept right, for right. for sort of battling in those situations. Yeah, I like it. Yeah,
4: I think this, this is a spot where, like, the, the default line is probably bet, flop, check, call, turn, evaluate, river. but uh, there's there's plenty of spots in, in these instances when you have, like, 30 big blinds that dependent on the player you're against in the situation in the tournament. There's there's a lot of reasons to, de- to, to what's the word, deviate from uh, the default line in ways that can, can make you a bunch of chips, and checking flop here might be one of them. Right. Yeah.
1: Cool. Interesting. I'm, I'm actually glad we, we brought this hand in, then, because it, opened up sort of a new area of inquiry for me. So yeah, I like Cool. It. good stuff. Very good. Well cool. I think uh I think we're gonna wrap it up there for our strategy discussion. So uh I wanna say thanks to Danny for uh for stopping in and talk a little strat sure, with us.
3: No sweat boys.
1: And uh thanks Matt and welcome to the team. No problem man. Good to be Captain here. Captain
3: good.
4: <laughs>
3: check <laughs> out hey, his Danny, new check, avatar. Check, check what a
4: Full fell avatar which I uh it, this is shameless brag time i uh, i got it for winning the mini f leaderboard earlier in the year uh, i got a custom avatar and my my custom avatar is my my face as like a superhero called captain Rungood. um and i just i thought it was a lot of fun to to design that with the full tilt guys so uh it, it's it's in the client now it's it's all there they had a software update just for me for my avatar and um yeah it looks it's, it's a lot of fun to have it so that's yeah, just, just awesome. too
3: many F Top jerseys and Avatar and tons of money. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> One series, no funny.
4: Big deal. It, it actually funnily enough, it wasn't that much money. I um No, it was kind of weird, it, like how it, just, it worked uh, out. It was just the jerseys and the uh the avatar that was the, the cool thing. And the, yeah, but you yeah. can you can sell the jersey for at least fifty bucks. So. <laughs> That's something. <laughs> the jersey, uh the jersey they get they give you custom name and numbering, so I've got my uh my screen name on my jersey kind of cool oh that's awesome nice because my name happens to be have a number at the end so it's just a no-brainer to have the ginger as the name and then 45 oh i I gotta
3: get a 13 yeah Yeah,
1: get to work man
3: ginger someday someday
1: (laughs) 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 well speaking of twitter make sure you follow these guys there um matt you're at the ginger 45. 45 yeah uh, Danny, of course, is at Danny M 13 Also, like uh, Diego said, we'll put a link to uh, Matt's thread on 2 Plus 2, so you can check that out. Um, he's also been writing some articles for us on TPE, so um, probably have a new one of those up soon as well, so make sure you check those out. Uh, thanks again, guys. Really appreciate it, and uh, we'll get you guys back on soon. Yeah,
3: thanks for having me on. Nice, guys. Appreciate thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Cool. We'll take, a,
1: we'll take a quick little break here, and then Diego and I will come back and wrap things up on the TPE podcast.
4: Later. Later, guys. Later.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I want to say a big thanks to Matt and Danny for joining us. To talk a little strat. Um, I thought that was really interesting. I, the, some of those hands went a lot deeper than I even really anticipated them to.
2: Yeah, that was that was really fun. That was that was a good uh, good strategy session, especially that last hand. I thought it was. Uh... I thought it was pretty straightforward. My thinking was pretty straightforward on that and I, I think it was probably the right line. But it was just when we got into the different things you could do and you know, when Danny's, you know, alternate lines on, you know, not betting the flop and, and, you know, blocker bedding the river. I, I just love when we talk like that because it that's the way you get better. It's just to think about these alternate lines and, and, and figure out, you know, what might be actually best may not be standard. So it was really, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it made me realize that something I need to do more of when I'm looking at hands is what, kind of like what you did on that on that one hand where you you said, well, what would we do here with tens? What would we do here with jacks? Right. What would we do? What would the villain do if he had ace jack? You know? Yeah. And I think a lot of times we just look at a hand and we go, well, I have this, <laughs> right. And and this is the action. But I, I think it's important that sometimes you stop and go, well, what if the action changed this yeah, way? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, what if my hand was one step better or one step yeah, worse? Yeah, because
2: in that hand, we're talk, I think you're talking about the hand where I had nines under the gun and I folded. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I folded without really thinking too much about it. It seemed like a pretty clear fold to me, and it sounds like that's, that's right based on the, yeah. the conversation. Um, but it was interesting to me because I can foresee a lot of situations where that was a lot harder fold than jacks being a really good example, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think I could fold queens there, right? But, right. but like, I mean... What could he have that he's putting in one third of his stack? Right, you know, like I just feel like even with queens, you're going to see aces and kings so often. But then right. I'm leveling myself because I'm like, why would he make it to one twenty-five, one third of his stack with aces or kings and make it such a, you know, such a fold? Yeah, you know, I have to fold so much in my ring. Yeah, you know? like, especially
1: because you, you said he was, good, he was good, so you're assuming he's a thinking player and, and he doesn't want to fold out worse hands. Right. When he has those. Right. Hands.
2: Exactly. So you probably want to try to induce what aces or, ki- or aces or kings. So like I would have really hated life with. With Jacks, probably not as much with Queens, but still would have hated life. But that, but I knew Nines were a clear fold. But I wanted to I wanted to examine those other uh, those other hands. So that that's that's what and that's what I love about talking to these guys is that they they like to like you see when I like I, what I say I say it with Jax, and Danny was just like oh like you, cause Danny just loves yeah. talking about hands that way you know because yeah. <laughs> that's the interesting hand and he you know that's why I love talking to those guys because they they really love to to explore
1: right. All these. I wish we knew what that guy had because. I could. I, I want to just say, like, it's almost always queens, 100%. Like, his race right, just right. feels so much like queens. Right. Like, it's not aces or kings because it's too big. And it's not worse than queens because I think he would just shove those hands. Yeah. Like, ten.
2: And Danny was, like, you know, thinking, he knows, you know, whatever, that now he can make it aces and kings. Because it doesn't seem like he'd ever do the aces and kings. But I think right. that might be too too fancy for this spot.
1: A little too high level. A little too high level. High
2: level like, I mean, does he really think I'm going to, you know... I mean, I'm wearing a TPE shirt, but so maybe people give me more credit than I think. you know maybe not. I don't know what the yeah. impact of that is, but I just feel like he's risking too much there by trying to play fancy and not try to induce. right? You know But I mean, what if okay, you know, let uh, could I don't know if we, we should have discussed this, but what if he does make it 88K, you know? <laughs> I make it 30, yeah, he makes it 88. You know, then I'm um, in, in inducing – actually, I wish we had asked those guys that because that's another interesting spot. Like, then he's clearly inducing, right? I, right. you got to fold – I think you got to fold again,
1: you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah so now his hand looks really nutty. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe he's trying to make it look really yeah, nutty. but
2: with, with, with 19 bigs, I mean, you know, first hand of a 10-handed fi- final table where he's got a skill edge. Is he really – right. against someone who has been playing with him and actually I forebent him earlier. Like is he really going to be trying to get me, you
1: know, to do something yeah. stupid? you know? Yeah, it, it's such a weird dynamic when the stacks are such, as you described, you know, like, a bunch of short stacks, and then a bunch of people yeah. who are are the big stacks, but their stacks aren't very no, big. anyone
2: could get hurt at any point yeah. and is in trouble. It yeah. It
1: puts you in such a weird, weird position on so many hands. Yeah.
2: I lo- I mean, I loved all the hands we just talked about. I thought even the first hand with, uh, I guess, Alex was was an interesting hand. Yeah. You know, I, I I I guess I agree with the folding. I mean, I I don't know. I, I guess I just, people are See betting so much that I have a hard time just folding Ace Queen when I, I think I may have the best hand there a decent amount of the time and I know right but it, it is to their point it makes it, it is a high variance move there and I'm not even taking control of the hand with a high variance move
1: yeah. so
2: it's it's definitely right. not a,
1: especially against a good strong player who's gonna barrel a lot because you're basically putting yourself you're gonna put yourself in a spot on the turn where you have to make another decision yeah right uh, you know luckily your decision was made slightly easier by. By an ace, Turning an ace yeah. but yeah. Well,
2: that's, that's <laughs> um, the thing. If he barrels like a non-ace, like a, a seven or something, I'm just going to fold there, I think. So why yeah. call? Oh, maybe I maybe I'm not though. Maybe I call another barrel and then fold the turn. I, you know, fold the river. I
1: don't know. Yeah. You know, like because if we're calling, because we think we have the best. Yeah, hand, yeah, yeah. And
2: he's going to barrel a lot. So yeah. So no, I think I if I think I think I got to call if a, if a non-ace hits, and then I'm putting in a lot of chips. And if he bets the river, then I'm going to give him the credit. But I think if he if I'm if my ace queen is good, I think he probably gives up a lot of rivers, right um but then again, he could have nines right, and my hand is not good on the river, and I have to walk yeah. it together. so anyway, uh, blah blah blah, a lot of <laughs> complex <laughs> hand that's why I thought it was more interesting than it initially appeared um and I wanted to discuss it so good 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 stuff, yeah. good good hands with
1: those guys, yeah, I, I thought both. it was good. It was also interesting talking to Ginger too, just about his background yep. and yep. Um, nice. And he's he, he's another one of those guys who has a lot of cool things going on outside of poker yeah. um, that are pretty interesting to hear about. Yeah,
2: nice nice guy, smart guy. So thanks yep. one. cool,
1: cool. Um, so speaking of Ginger and his new video and new pros, let's talk a little bit about what's going on at TPE.
2: Yes, uh, Ginger series is uh, wrapping up today, um, so you can get all five parts today. It's um, uh, so highly, very well reviewed. Um, if you like the way he breaks down hands here you'll get more of that from the site um we're also running a uh a w heads up hand history review from andrew brokus which is pretty cool uh yeah. great you know obviously we've talked about andrew a ton here and his uh, videos are always well reviewed and it's great watching a heads up hand history review from him because of the nature of heads up and you know reads and you know it's just a more complex game um and you know you don't get a lot of practice heads up, right? <laughs> I mean, right. I mean, not, not nothing against anyone here, <laughs> but you know, heads up is I get good. no practice. Yeah, right. You up. get no practice heads up. <laughs> uh the heads up is hard to get to, so you don't get to practice a lot. So when you do get there, a lot of people are unprepared, um, for it. So it's, it's good to, you know, watch a series and, and get some, um, insight into that. Um, yeah. And, uh, and we also just recently ran a series from Jamie Kerstetter. Um, and she's, a uh, She's breaking down a member hand history from a micro millions um, deep run, and it's going to be one of these long series. So she's kind of breaking it down into you know she did three parts in the early stages and she's going to do mid stage in a couple of weeks and then a uh, you know late stage uh, version. So she, the early stage is uh, is up right now, um, and of course we had uh, Big Dog's Sunday Million back to back. The other the first week actually the first one that he that he took down back to back. That just ran. Um, Obviously, people waiting a long time for that, and and, uh, you know, all nine point nines and tens on that. Um, And we, in addition to Ginger, um, are another new pro, uh, uh, Murfinis. How how do you say his name? (laughs) Arvidas. Arvidas. Yeah, I just call him Arvis because I figure that's easy. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I know that's (laughs) not right but uh his 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 star's uh screen name uh, Murphiness is, is is a little easier to pronounce, and so uh, he did a live sweat and uh, and upcoming um, we have a oh and Cody Custer um, did a, an ICM um, theory video so there's a, there's a lot of videos um, really good videos in the last month of course, we haven't done a podcast in a couple of weeks, so that's, that's why we have a big catalog but also upcoming is a new pro. Um, Corey Wayland, um, who plays MJ Styles one two three or something like that on
1: MJ Twenty Three
2: Styles. Styles on the, the U.S. sites, and he's a he and he plays a lot live. Um, he's he, I think he's going to be one of those guys that people will, will probably love. Um, he's a, he's a he's just an interesting guy. He's you know he's he speaks his mind um, and he plays non-standard a lot. So I think it's, I think his video is going to cause a lot of reaction. I think his, I think he's really good. Um, And I think, but he he doesn't do always the standard thing. And so I think you're going to get, you know, some of those people who don't really get why you would do non-standard stuff criticizing it. But I think the deep thinkers may think that this stuff is awesome. And I I really enjoyed it for that because, you know, as we just had that hand with Danny, where Danny was like, I would do this differently on the turn and it's non-standard. It would, but I think it, is actually a better poker player. I think Corey has the same thing, and he's a really upbeat, positive guy, fun to listen to. I think – I don't know. He's one of those guys where his video has a lot of personality, even though it's just him talking, mm-hmm. right? It just, it's just – he's engaging. He's entertaining to listen to, so I think people are going to really love his his videos, and he has a, 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 a unique style. So i um, looking forward yeah. to seeing how people react.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too um, for two reasons. One, um, he's actually from North Carolina. Yep. And uh, and he's ranked number one on P5s for the state of North Carolina. So I've always been like yeah. chasing it. Like <laughs> I think I'm like ninth or something right now. But I'm always like I want to I want to get ahead of MJ23 style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so good to have another North Carolinian on the team. Yeah. Um, but also because it, the review is of last year's Maximus main event. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of perfect timing with the Maximus running and the main event actually happening on Sunday. Um, you know, it's it's fresh and something that I think a lot of people will be into, especially our US. Yeah members, so, um, yeah, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be cool.
2: Yep, so he's, uh, look for his next week, and, uh, and uh, that's, uh, I think that's something to look forward to, so, a lot of stuff going on, and, uh, and for, I think we mentioned it, um, we announced it last uh, episode, um, we have been putting together the content for TPE University, so, for members, if you haven't seen it, um, we haven't launched the, the actual university with the quizzes yet, but T-Twist Tim Kelly, who's our GM and our operations manager, has been putting together the content for the university courses and posting them in the forum under, I think we created a TPE university subforum. And so, you know, you don't have to wait until we pro- roll out all the, you know, the fancy uh, pages and, 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 you know, ability to track and all that stuff. If you want a, a better way to digest TPE um, and you're, you're interested in that and you want to, you know, Look at middle state, you know, find the block of middle stage, early stage ha- uh, videos and concepts and a block of final table videos and concepts that you could just go there now and look at the, the list and just wa- start watching those videos one by one um, as we roll out the actual features on the site. So yeah, it goes
1: out. And people seem to be digging that so far. And yes. I think they're really going to love it when we actually get it into more of a formal state. Yep,
2: yep. Uh- it's almost there. Uh, just to peek behind the curtain here, uh, I've seen the uh, the pages. The programmers are developing them. We're almost done with the actual coding. And then we'll start actually administering them and putting the content in in a couple of weeks. So coming soon. To-
1: cool. Looking forward to it. Yep. Right on. Well, another, uh, another podcast in the books. Yep. So uh, – Good to talk to you. Let's talk to you in another two months. <laughs> no, no, it won't <laughs> be that long this time. I'm not moving. i not, right, not moving, so it should be. A yeah, no more moving allowed. Uh, cool. Well, thanks again to, uh, to Matt and Danny. Thanks to everybody for listening. If you're grinding uh, WCOOP or you're grinding Maximus or any other series, good luck out there. Absolutely. And uh, we'll see you guys all next time back here on the Tournament Poker Edge podcast.
2: Absolutely. Good luck, everyone. Good luck in Maximus good. this weekend. Good luck in WCOOP. Later. Good luck in
0: them like they do in texas plays fold them let them hit me raise it baby stay with me lock and intuition play the cards with patience, to start and after she's been hooked i'll play the one that's on her heart Little gambling is fun when you're with me. I love it. Russian roulette is not the same without a gun. And baby, when it's love, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun. Oh. Love Nobody